Welcome to Japanimation Station, an anime podcast brought to you by the folks at the Weekly Stuff Podcast. I am Sean Chapman. And I'm Jonathan Lack. And we are here once again to dive into the wild and wacky world of anime with the final classic episode that we are bringing back, resurrecting with the Dragon Balls from our old Weekly Stuff Podcast and repurposing for Japanimation Station. We are talking, Jonathan, about Dragon Ball Super Broly, the previous Dragon Ball movie uh, in preparation of Dragon Ball Super Superhero. Which is releasing today here in the United States. I have my ticket. I'm ready to go see it. I'm very excited. Looks great. Uh, but we are talking about the previous Dragon Ball movie, which came out in the States in uh, 2019, early that year. And this is when we recorded this conversation. And I think it's a very good conversation about an awesome fucking movie. I'm excited for you guys to hear it. I did, to get the audio file, Sean, I did have to collect all seven Dragon Balls and wish to Shenlong to resurrect them for me. I didn't just plug a hard drive in. It was much harder than that. Yeah, and, and this good that I was worried that that might be like a little bit out. You know, this podcast is just a little bit too powerful. You know, he can't like do anything with anyone whose power level is above his power. Um, so I'm glad that you know he maybe got the Namekian dragon in to help out or something. But it was nice that we got all that sorted out. Indeed. So again, if you are new to Japanimation Station, haven't heard our old episodes, then I think hopefully this was a good infusion of Dragon Ball content into the Japanimation Station feed. I'm very happy to resurrect these old episodes. And on Monday's episode, our next regular episode of Japanimation Station, we will be reviewing Dragon Ball Super Superhero and seeing just how super this superhero super movie really is. But before we get that, let's talk about the greatest superhero of them all, Broly. We are talking all about Dragon Ball Super, Broly, the anime sensation that is sweeping the nation. What did you think? Holy fucking shit, Jonathan. It's really good. Like, it's really, really, really good. Like, I went in with very high expectations um, uh -huh. because the movie obviously came out in Japan about a month ago, so... Like, I heard through the grapevine or whatever, this, like, impressions leaking and stuff that, like, people really liked this movie when it came out over there. Um, so I was pretty hyped going in, and all the trailers looked amazing, and so stoked off of the end of Dragon Ball Super, which, you know, we did the whole podcast talking about how much we both loved that. But even with how high my expectations were, I feel like they were blown completely out of the water. Um, and it's, it's uh, really, 
really great Dragon Ball movie. I think it's it's for me it's the best Dragon Ball movie. It's only competition is Battle of Gods. Like Battle of Gods is the only like these those are the two movies that are like in the yes echelon of like these are like legitimately like really good well made films. I agree. Um, and for me, Dragon Ball Super Broly is even better than Battle of Gods. So. Yeah, I will get into this later, um, because I probably still pick Battle of Gods, but that's not because I'm putting down the Broly movie by any means. Um, and I agree with you, those are the top two. So, like, yeah. you're just picking it's like, between... It's, but it's not just those are the top two. It's like, those are so the top two, there's, like, a giant wall. Yes. Like, it's, it's in a different ranking, basically, than everything else. Well, I agree that those are just great movies, and the rest might be great Dragon Ball movies, but this is a step beyond that, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, no, it's great. It's fantastic. You know, I had a complicated reaction to it. I wound up seeing the movie twice. One of those times required me driving 50 miles to another city to go see it at a, at a regular theater. Um, and I saw it twice for two reasons. One is the theater really fucked up the presentation on my first time, which just really, that takes you out of the movie. It's very hard to enjoy a movie. Specifically in this case, I couldn't hear a lot of the movie. So I'll tell that whole story later. Um but I think it was also just that this movie is genuinely really bold with Dragon mm-hmm. Ball. It's bold with how, like, it's it's visually bold. It's a completely new animation style. It's the biggest overhaul in art style Dragon Ball has really ever had. Um, it's the biggest overhaul in how they present fights and choreography and all of that. It has some really daring aesthetics. But it's also surprisingly bold in how Toriyama takes basically all of the most popular non-canonical elements in the series and ties them into a new canonical story and really reworks a lot of what we kind of think we know about the series. I think it has really interesting themes about generations in this universe. And I think it is so bold in so many ways that the first time I saw it, I knew I liked it, but I didn't quite know what to make of it. And so like, I had to go see it again as soon as possible because it was... More than I've had in years with a movie, I just couldn't get the movie out of my head. Like, I had trouble sleeping after I saw it for the first time, because it is so much to digest. And, you know, saying that, I don't want to scare away casual fans, because if, like, if you haven't seen Dragon Ball since you were a kid, I think you could enjoy the hell out of this. It's not, you don't need to have seen Super. There's, like, they will catch you up on what's happened in Super. You might be a little like, where the hell did the blue hair come from? But, you know, you'd get it. They're powering up. Um, so I would, ex- you know, anyone who likes Dragon Ball should go see this movie. But I think if you're a longtime fan, it really, this is not just a fan service movie. It is a, it, it's what Super is. It's furthering the narrative of this, both aesthetically and narratively, in a lot of really compelling and oftentimes risk-taking ways. And I think that's something that's interesting to me about this movie. Absolutely. And I think there's, if there's... One significant complaint I have about the movie is that it doesn't have a splash screen at the end that tells you when new Dragon Ball is coming out. <laughs> because yes. I so desperately need... When I, if it's a movie, if it's a TV show, I just want to know with, when, when we can pick up with the I'm, story. I'm pretty sure, Sean, everyone who worked on this movie has collapsed on the floor in their <laughs> office. Like, that's what the splash yeah. screen should be, is everyone being like, when we're out of the coma that you know it required to make this fucking masterpiece of animation will tell you when we're making more you know what i mean it's like it's crazy yeah but this movie was more than worth the like hiatus and break from the end of dragon ball super it like works really well having that break from the turn of the power and then coming here and having this movie and and 
and in both doing the like reworking some of the history of Dragon Ball stuff and then pushing it forward by like incorporating Broly and some of those elements um, in ways that I'm really excited for whatever the next step is because this is certainly this movie does not for for like all the people when Dragon Ball Super was like soft canceled or whatever and they announced they were making the movie there were a lot of people being like oh that's it for Dragon Ball Super this movie does not end in a way that feels like okay this is drag dragon ball is done for a while this movie ends in a way that's like okay this is it it's pivoting towards whatever the next step is going to be for the and future of the franchise it's going to be an interesting we're going to talk about all that later in the show and i think what's interesting is also this movie has had literally unprecedented success like yeah um for anime not just in america but kind of all over the world other than in its home nation of japan where it did crazy well it did big, bigger than either battle of gods or resurrection f at home in Japan, but it also has done just gangbusters all over the world. It's already made twenty-one million dollars in America at the time of this recording. Fucking Jesus! I, I, it's genuinely. I don't know what the future of Dragon Ball is because that kind of success is on. We're in uncharted territory, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, so I'm really curious where this goes from here. But we'll talk about all that. I guess one last thing before we move on to other stuff, Sean, is that I had someone ask me on Twitter when I was posting about the movie. They said, so do you think this was better than the original Broly movie? And <laughs> I, didn't know, I didn't know how to answer that. I didn't know to answer, if I should answer it like an asshole or not because I didn't know. Because that could be a totally sincere question. If someone is kind of unplugged from the larger narrative, I get it. But like, is it Sean? <laughs> Yes, if it, it is were, if better it than the original Broly movie, yes. If it weren't for the fact that the original Broly movie does have, you know, good voice acting, good animation, good music, I would say this movie is the exact qualitative polar opposite. Mm-hmm. But narratively, at the very least, it is the exact qualitative polar opposite. Yeah, I mean, once we start at the end of this podcast, when we do like the full in-depth spoiler discussion, there's going to be a lot of us being very shocked at saying things that we like about the character Broly. Yeah. Which is just like, like the, the, yeah, like what, what Toriyama does with Broly in this movie as a character alone puts it so far above any of the merits of the, the Broly trilogy that we, we did a whole podcast I, episode on. Cause I think if there's, if you did like Broly in the past, you're going to like this movie. It's everything that was good about Broly with none of the shit that was bad about him, and all the good stuff is way better. So it's like, those never have three movies been made more immediately obsolete <laughs> as the original <laughs> yes. Broly trilogy has by the release of this film. They are yeah. such historical curiosities now. Yeah, I'm glad I'm glad that we did that episode and we watched those three Broly movies because I really don't feel like I'll ever have. I said this about Bio Broly at the, the time we recorded the podcast. And it is now definitely true of the other two as well. I don't think I'm ever going to watch those movies again. I just don't know if I'll ever need to. They are so immediately made irrelevant, and they are all three of them very boring. Honestly, Bio Broly might be the most relevant because it's the easiest to detach from our new Broly because he's not really Broly in that. He's just a soup monster. Yeah, it's just Swamp Thing. Yeah. so Krillin versus the Swamp Thing. Yeah, so let's talk about the movie, Sean. Uh, We'll tell you when we're going to do spoilers, but I just want to start with, because you know we like the movie love the movie um let's just start with what was your experience like because i have a whole story but i want to hear you saw it last night where'd you see it what was it like what was the crowd like because there's a lot more theaters showing it in denver than there were in iowa but i know from my brother and from other people it's also been very crowded here (laughs) yes so my the theater was totally packed i went up to the amc flatiron theater that's kind of up near boulder 
So it's, it's up north of where I live. It's a really nice theater. I've only been there a couple of times, but it's, you know, got really nice chairs that you can fucking lean back in and, and put a footrest up. Um, it's, so, yeah, so I went up there. The theater was com- was completely full. Um, it was reserved seating, so that was nice. And But, yeah, it was just and, – and one of the things that was interesting, it wasn't just full. Like, it was – clear that there's you know multiple generations of dragon ball fans so there are people that are much younger than us that are into dragon ball that got into it probably through like either their parents because you know we are old enough to have kids even if we don't have kids like there are people from our generation that are having children that could be into dragon ball and have inherited it or just like you know teenagers that watch other shows on crunchyroll and saw that like dragon ball super was the number one show on the most popular list on crunchyroll the entire time that it was up there and it's still probably in like the top five or so um like naruto has been consistently forever on crunchyroll so it's very easy to get exposed to it so there were like clearly like multiple generations of fans there it wasn't necessarily like a i guess i feel like people in colorado don't generally have like a like yeah we're all clapping and going crazy while the movie's playing like it doesn't necessarily like that but there is it's since i didn't go to battle of gods or resurrection f over here um sort of like resurrection f would be the only one i even kind of considered going to see in a theater i have not had many theater going experiences that have been like this the only one that is fairly equivalent would be when we saw uh sheen godzilla um but even that's slightly broader because at least that's a live action movie like there's such a weird cultural thing with America and animation, particularly animation that's not necessarily made for kids, um, that makes it feel like more niche and like dirty or something in a weird way. Um, and yeah, that that whole experience of just seeing the theater and feeling like this is just a big group of people that like the only people who are ever going to go see Dragon Ball Super Broly are people who like Dragon Ball. You're not just stumbling into this fucking no. movie, right? <laughs> like because it like you know, unlike Shin Godzilla, this movie would make basically zero sense to you if you had if you had never heard of dragon ball literally had no idea what dragon ball is this movie would be probably more or less incomprehensible for most of it particularly when people's hair starts going blue oh man like i don't know what the fuck's happening sean if you want a good laugh go over to rotten tomatoes and you can find the critics on there who were sent to review super broly because it's a wide release and had no idea and they are so angry they're like this is the worst fucking you like how can people like this like they're idiots for like they're so angry and it's like oh man you guys are so out of touch you guys are so like i don't blame you for not liking dragon ball but it's like it reminds me of how people reviewed the pokemon movies back in the day of being angry that there's a group that likes animation like this you know um most of the people on Rotten Tomatoes, by the way, they were actual fans because people knew better than to send newbies to a Dragon Ball movie. But there's a couple. Like, there's a New York Times guy on there, I think. And it's yeah. like, it's amazing. I mean, because it would be like if you watched the X-Files movie that came out between <laughs> right. season five and season six and had never seen X-Files before. And it's like, that movie is so steeped in the lore of that series. It is like a huge turning point for like that whole franchise that it's basically like a giant two hours episode of the tv show if you had not seen the tv show didn't know what it was and you saw the movie it would be utterly incomprehensible for you so yeah like the sense of being in that theater and being like these are all people that love dragon ball that like most if not all these people have been keeping up with dragon ball super at least in the english dub if not like me been watching the japanese version of it and yeah, it's just like was a really cool, cozy sort of movie going experience. And then the projection was great. Like it, it looked awesome. The sound was awesome. Like like the whole, it's probably the, well, actually my, my experience of seeing Spider-Verse was really good also, even though that was just my normal theater I went to. But other than that, and even above that, this is the best movie going experience I've had since I saw 2001 A Space Odyssey 
in the seven millimeter screening, which obviously that was special. Yeah. So it made sense that that one was like really well done. But this, but that's a really nice theater. I wish I lived a lot closer to that theater because it's like a solid thirty minute drive. Yeah. Um. So. I did see Battle of Gods and Resurrection F in theater. So there's a little bit of table setting. I've probably told these stories before. Battle of Gods was a one-night event. It, it was not a, a normal theatrical release. It was a one-night yeah. Fathom event. Uh, and the night I saw it, I mean, I knew this was coming, that Dragon Ball was going to like have an explosion. Because when I saw Battle of Gods, Sean, they oversold the theater. Like it was, There were people sitting in the aisles on the steps, standing. Like That's how full it was. And it was a great experience, even though they projected it like absolute dog shit. Um, it was still fun. And I'd seen the movie several times in Japanese at that point, because Battle of Gods took forever to come out here. Um, but it was a ton of fun. Resurrection F had a like limited sort of release, where it had like scattershot screenings here and there. I was out of town. I was actually in Canada when Resurrection F came out, uh, not near any movie theaters. So by the time I got back, the movie had already been out for like two weeks. And the screening I went to was the last screening in Denver of Resurrection F. And it was still full and it was still so much fun. And that one was projected well. Um, So now we get to Broly. I was not able to see it opening night because I had a class. That was Wednesday. So I went Thursday night to my local theater it's a the, the chain out here in Iowa is called Marcus Theaters, and it's it's very you know homegrown because they even have the owner of the chain has a little video before the movies where he makes really really bad dad jokes, um, and it's like thanks for coming to the movies. It's awkward, uh, and it's generally an okay theater, but we'll get into the presentation issues in a minute. But I did like I I got to the theater early. A lot of people were getting there early. <laughs> got my ticket. This does not have reserved seating, so I went inside, got a good seat. I was happy. Over the next half hour, that theater filled up. It was one of their biggest theaters, like hundreds of seats. It was completely full by the time the movie started. And when the movie started, there were still people coming in. I had to get up. Well, there was one funny moment where I had to get up. It's the scene. This is not a spoiler. Early in the movie, um, Frieza is coming to planet Vegeta. And King Vegeta has to like get on his knees and like bow to Frieza. And I had to get up, and I realized I was near the front of the theater, so I was blocking people's views, so I got down on one knee. And I didn't mean to, but I looked like I was cosplaying King Vegeta for a second, because people were trying to get into my row, and so I had to, like, get out of the row, and then I'm like, oh, fuck, people can't see the movie, let's get down. And I just instinctively went into the position of the guy on screen. So, anyway. But, yeah, so that was my first night with the movie. Uh, I should say, this theater was planning on showing the movie only four times over the week. Like they had a Wednesday screening, a Thursday screening, and then one on Saturday, one on Sunday. They expanded their Saturday and Sunday. They now were showing four screenings a day. <laughs> so they nice. they were like, oh, we need to make more money with this. Like this is a lot. Um, but there was an issue with the sound. So let me get into that. Um, the, the visual presentation was okay. That theater has okay projectors. They did a weird thing where they had it on a... 2.35 to 1 screen which is the big widescreen widescreen and they just had this movie which is 169 178 to 1 projected on that with like black bars which was lazy they could have just masked the screen that was stupid but not doesn't ruin it but that was there but the sound the best way i can describe it sean is that it sounded like someone was playing dragon ball super broly off of their iphone had oh. maxed the iphone up to maximum and just put it at the front of the theater and so 
It was muffled. It was quiet. Um, I'm pretty sure what it was is that this was a surround mix, like 5.1, and all we were getting was the center channel. So we weren't getting the surrounds. So like we oh, could, yeah, that's bad. We could hear the dialogue, but like the reverb on the dialogue wouldn't be there, which means it's really muffled. We could get some of the music, but there's a lot of the music. Like, and I knew this because I had the soundtrack on my phone. I got out of the movie, put in my headphones, listened to a track, and was like, "Yep, yeah, that wasn't in there." Like that just. Like, I heard some of this, but there are, like, effects in this song that weren't in the movie. And when I saw the movie again, I heard them. Uh, there were sound effects, like, now that I've seen the movie twice, when they're in the ice, on the ice continent. Again, this is in the trailer. There is, as you would expect, a sound effect of, like, whooshing noises, of wind going by. We didn't hear that. It was in the channels that weren't there. Um, and it was also just the volume was really low. Uh, when the fighting started, it was weird because there would be, this is a movie with a lot of like sound and fury and spectacle and you would have yes. the big punches and stuff, but no sound effects on it. It was the most awkward thing in the world. It made it really difficult to enjoy the movie, it made it hard to follow because this was the weirdest thing is that this crowd was ready to have fun. Like we wanted to cheer at the movie, but everybody, it was this giant theater where everyone was being deathly quiet to try to hear the movie. There's one moment near the end, there's a joke involving Frieza that is fucking hilarious, and we all broke out at that, and we missed yes. several lines after that, because you just couldn't, literally couldn't hear it. Um, so I complained to the manager afterwards, and he didn't really understand it, and this is the state of theaters these days, Sean, is he said, well, we have a technician coming next week, maybe we'll have him have a look at it. They have no one on site who can fix this, and that's true of most movie theaters now. That's really bad. Yep. That's... That's... I'm trying to think of like if I've had a worse moviegoing experience other than when they played the wrong version of The Hobbit and so it was like I think it was supposed to be 3D and they were not playing the 3D version and so it was just like watching a dimmed version of The Hobbit. Um, that's probably the only thing I've seen that's been equivalent to that. Yeah, I mean I've had worse than this because I've also had sound and picture completely messed up. This was like the picture wasn't great but it was there. Um, the sound just wasn't there. So I didn't quite know what to make of the movie. Again, the movie like... You need to commit yourself to it. It's not just fan service Dragon Ball. So I really didn't know what to think of the movie coming out of it. And there was this problem with the sound. So like I had the weirdest experience, Sean, where I felt like I I had seen the movie in so much as I knew the plot and knew what it looked like. But I felt like I also had not seen the movie because I hadn't. And it, it would be like if you watched the movie over someone's shoulder on like an airplane. Yeah. Right. That's like like and then there were subtitles. It's like I understand the plot. I so, see it. It looks really nice. But like the the effect of seeing the movie yeah. is not there. So it was like I had been so excited, I'd been so primed. There was no like movie this fucking year I'm more excited to see, and yet I saw it and didn't see it. And so like I had trouble sleeping that night. I couldn't think about other things. I went to work the next day, got my work done, and then I decided, okay, it's the start of a long weekend. I have no immediate responsibilities. What's the nearest other theater playing this? Because I'm not going back to that theater to see it, right? Yeah. <laughs> they don't even have their technician coming until next week. Um, so I get on my phone. The nearest theater playing it was 50 miles away in Davenport, which is eastern, eastern Iowa. And it was a Cinemark, which we have a lot of those in Denver. And I like Cinemarks. I trust Cinemarks. Mm -hmm. they, I generally have good experiences there. I'm like, okay, I, I can trust that. I will drive to that Cinemark. So when I got off of work, I came home really quick, changed, put my backpack away, and then got back in the car and drove. It wasn't a full hour. It was like a good 45 minutes to Davenport, went to this theater, 
went in, saw Dragon Ball Super Broly, and it was great. Um, because this theater had like really nice, bright, vivid projection. They had their screen masked intelligently. You know, it looked great. It was the sound was like loud and it was big and it was like, yeah, and I could hear the whole movie and I loved the shit out of it. And that was fantastic. So uh, and in that second screening, this was like a Friday afternoon and that theater had like a full day of screening. So this one was not like packed or sold out, but there were a lot of people. And one of the interesting things is there were families with kids. So like I was hearing kids react to it, which was kind of fun. Like, I'm so glad there are still new Dragon Ball fans being made, you yeah. know? Uh, it's not just us old guys in the theater. So yes. So that's is how I had to see Dragon Ball Super Broly because of the sound issues. But since I saw it twice, I got to see it, you know, I, I know the movie pretty well now. And I also really, there are, I don't think it's a perfect movie. I have some things I could quibble with here and there, and I'm interested to talk to you about them. Overall, this is fantastic stuff. It is so good. My biggest complaint, honestly, is that I think it's not long enough, and I think it's a little too mm -hmm. fast in places. And I really desperately hope they did what they did with Battle of Gods and do an extended version. Uh, because Battle of Gods was kind of that way, where it's 85-minute version feels like it's missing some things and then it's extended cut is is like perfect it's like got everything you want in there and i kind of hope they do that for broly also because i just want more of that animation out in the world uh but yeah let's talk about the movie now sean i think we can go ahead and say spoilers from here on out so check out if you don't want to hear the spoilers for dragon ball super broly but where do you want to start with this movie sean there is so much to deal with there's like three very clear acts. There's the yeah. backstory act. Like it's, I would call it a prologue, except it's a third of the movie, so I don't think that's fair. There's the act in the middle where all the chess pieces are being put on the board, and then there's the fight. And they're all fucking great. I've been going back and forth on which part is my favorite. We could talk about the amazing animation. We could talk about the surprisingly fantastic soundtrack, which I did not yeah. know Norihito Sumitomo had in him. No knock on him, just his music has not been this good up to now. Um, we could talk about the characters. Uh, there's so much with this movie. Where do you want to begin? Um, let's talk about the animation first. Because yeah. I think that's part of, like, like you know... No, like, Broly is the star of the movie. As I was going to say, the animation is the star of the movie. Broly is the star of the movie. It's named after him, and he's really good, and they fixed Broly. So I'm not going to take away that from, from Broly, because he is also the main character, I think. Um, but... Like maybe like the second billing of the movie is just the animation. Um, I'll say the animation is... is the star of the movie. I'm okay with that okay. because okay. because Broly only looks as cool as he does because of the animation. Sure, there you go. It, but yeah, it's a such a completely different style for Dragon Ball. And if you've only seen the trailers and thus think you know like what the movie <laughs> looks like, you really don't because. Like, because it looked like, okay, cool. Like, this is a much leaner looking Dragon Ball. It's got, like, a really smooth look to the animation that's really cool. Um, that just, just looks great. Like, it has a lot more of that kind of, like, manga look to it than, than, than Dragon Ball Super had a lot of the time. Even than a lot of, like, what Dragon Ball Z had. Uh, and that's really cool. But what I you but you, what you don't really see in the trailers, other than in a couple of shots in some of, like, the Gogeta trailers and stuff, is... When they, when they go for it with the animation, it is ex very experimental. It's very stylized, way more stylized than it looks in the shots and the trailers. Um, there's a lot of really just crazy directorial choices they make of like extended POV shots from like, there's like one shot that lasts like 30 seconds. It's all animated from Broly's, like literally from Broly's perspective. That might um, be my favorite shot of action yeah, in the movie. And, and just, like, lots of really extreme close-ups. It feels... It does not feel like a Toei-produced 
thing of animation, movie, TV show, whatever. Like it feels more like if you watch other anime stuff, it feels more like something that would maybe come from like Madhouse or, or Bones or maybe even like Studio Trigger. Like it's, it's got like this really kinetic, frenetic pace to it. And when the fighting goes, they are fine with like distorting things in the image, making like, like making things big or crazy, going super close in on people's eyes and, and having the camera move wildly around and gesticulate in, in really crazy ways. But it's all really calculated and really like at, it's all used for a purpose. It's not just like being crazy and stylistic for stylistic sake. It is trying to communicate something about the power of the characters in the fight. And it's giving you such a different perspective on a Dragon Ball style, super crazy over the top martial arts battle that I've just never seen from Dragon Ball. I would, I don't think I would want every Dragon Ball thing to be in this style necessarily. Like, like whenever the TV show comes back, I wouldn't want this to like every single episode to have this style to it. But for this movie, it's such an incredible look and it's such an incredible perspective and take on what Dragon Ball can look like that, like, I was just floored constantly once yes. like shit got real because dragon ball has always been a well animated it has not always been well animated <laughs> um, yes, yeah, very, fair enough, yeah. um but it has been like good animation sometimes great animation but it is not you would never point to dragon ball generally as the top tier of japanese animation like no. it's not akira it's not studio ghibli it's not a madhouse production as you say um you wouldn't really you it's not one punch man like whatever you want to point to is like this is what like the best of the medium is um this is up there though and and there's mm-hmm. two things going on because there's the art style itself which i do want dragon ball to use moving forward like the character designs and the general way they do character outlines and everything like it's yes it's the best dragon ball has ever had maybe outside of the minoru maeda stuff we'll get to that in a second um and then there's the like directorial style and the animation itself during the fight which i agree if they did that every week it would one they they would run out of money um and two it would get old but like for this it is such a a break of pace it, it really throws you for a loop um and, like, I had trouble processing it the first time a little bit because it is so different. And I didn't fully appreciate it until the second time. Now, some of that is due to the sound that I had, but some of that is just due to it's really different. So, I mean, we should back up and do a quick backstory on why is it so different. And that's because um, this is the first outing by the new uh, director of animation, now Hiro Shintani. And Dragon Ball in the past has had only three people fill this role in the entire franchise. And you might think, oh, director of animation, character designer is their other title. Well, wait, why do they need that? Akira Toriyama is the character designer. He came up with the characters, right? Well, Akira Toriyama drew the manga and all that stuff, but you need someone day-to-day on the anime who takes all of those ideas that Toriyama has and translates them into movable, workable drawings for an animation, right? And there have been three people who have done that in the past. The first, and I think who many people would say has been historically the best at this, was a guy named Minoru Maeda. He actually did all of the original Dr. Slump uh, anime. Then he went on and did all of Dragon Ball. And then he did Dragon Ball Z up through the end of Frieza. He left between the Frieza and Cell arcs. But uh, that means Maeda was the guy who like was in charge of character designs for the anime, in charge of the overall look of the animation. He also drew all of the material for like 
extra releases like movie posters, um, books, anything like that related to the anime that they would have put out. That was Maeda. He was really good at, at, I think, mirroring Toriyama's early art style. Like if you go back and look at like Dragon Ball Z movie one, Dead Zone, that is like prime Maeda to me, which is those like, like slimmer, more rounded character designs. They look really good. Then there were two guys. Maeda did so much work that two people had to take over for him. And that was for the rest of Z and then GT, it was Katsuyoshi Nakatsuru and Tadayoshi Yamamuro. Um, Katsuyoshi Nakatsuru stayed on through like the mid-2000s. He famously did all the animation for, I think, the dragon boxes, like the cover and stuff. Um, and they're really nice. Nakatsuru is an amazing artist. And then Tadayoshi Yamamuro has been of note lately because all of the 2010s Dragon Ball stuff, like Battle of Gods on, has been Yamamuro's domain. He was the lead artist on... Um, Battle of Gods, he directed the film Resurrection F, which is really rare for a character designer to direct, and then he was the lead artist on Super. So those have been the three guys, and that's why Dragon Ball has kind of always looked similar E. Yamamuro, I think, is really talented. I think a lot of people would say he has maybe the least interesting style of those three guys, which is why Super is not always the most interesting version of this, but they finally hired a new person, and that's now Hiro Shintani, who specifically, like, his goal was, I want to bring this more back to Toriyama's drawings. I want to make it look more like drawings. He said he wanted to update it for Toriyama's modern art style, which if you read something like Jocko the Galactic Patrolman is quite different than what he's had in the past. It's, yeah. a, it's a fusion of his other art styles, I would say. And so now you have now Hiro Shintani, and you also have the director of this film, Tatsuya uh, Nagamine, who also directed the universe survival arc of Super, um, clearly has a vision for this. Because the universe survival arc also started playing with the art style in some big ways. Yeah, yeah you can definitely see like there's a bridge between the Jiren fight, um, particularly once you get near the end, in some of like the close zoom 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 ups that are like close ups on people's faces and characters zooming towards the camera. Um, like some of those things carry over and like extend and like go beyond like what they were doing in that Jiren fight in this movie. Yeah. And so now you have Dragon Ball Super Broly and I think you put those two guys together, Shintane and Nagamine, and who knows, maybe Toriyama might have had influence on this, I don't know, but it has such a vibrant new look. It is the hardest break with the past Dragon Ball has ever made in animation. It is just a completely new art style. It it looks more than ever before like moving drawings to me, you know? Yes. And what I think works so well about it, like I said on Twitter, I think Shintani is the best at this art design role of anyone in this franchise since Maeda. And I say that because what I think he does is I think he combines the kind of old school handcrafted aesthetics of old Dragon Ball and Z, which we all love because they look so, you know, you, there was no digital manipulation of those. People had to draw them and paint them and they didn't look... They had grain, and they looked filmic, and they looked great. And I, I think, you know, Battle of Gods, Resurrection F, Super, all have varying degrees of good animation, but they look very plasticky to me, and I think the digital coloring kind of looks soulless. Uh, and I think the, what, that's one of the major changes they made in the universe survival arc, is they changed the digital post-processing so it looks better. Um, but this movie feels like it combines all those things we loved about old-school Dragon Ball, and that it looks earthy, there's, like, visible grain in the image, there is clear like textured lines on the characters like the lines look like ink or pencil they don't look digital to me at all the colors yeah. are much more earthy and like they look like what you would get in a manga or in something printed on paper 
And, and then you combine that with all the things we can do with digital technology now in animation and make it so fluid and so fast and throw so much at you. And it feels like this beautiful combination of old and new. And it just feels like the best Dragon Ball could possibly look in animation in the year 2018 slash 2019. And I think that's an amazing accomplishment. Absolutely, yeah. And I'm, I'm 100% with you that like I want this... I think earthy is, is used that word and I really love it. It's like this very earthy aesthetic for Dragon Ball and like bring that that quality back that used to be there and push it forward and have that like whatever the next step is, retain that. Um, but yeah, it is that combined with the like really just fucking 100% going for it that they do. Like like it's, there's no, you know, it's a very long fight. It's a solid, probably like 30 minutes of this movie is that fight. Um, that's, you know, it's, it's good be that they have it. It's multi-stage. It's not just Broly versus Goku and that's the whole fight. It's, there are, there are different combatants go in and out and, and it changes styles as the fight goes on. But it's like, you know, once that fight happens, they are never just like relaxing. They're always pushing it and doing something new and like ratcheting things up and up and up. And, and it's one of the things that's really remarkable about this movie, I think, is that even though the fight is like 30 minutes long and is thus like quite a bit longer than the fight in the Broly, the legendary Super Saiyan movie, this like three seconds in this of the fight in this movie is better than anything in that in the past Broly movies. Like it's so powerful it's so energized it's so creatively energized like it's not just that like the the drawings are are so energized in in so frenetic and capture so much of the speed and energy of these characters but there's just a sense of like passion and creativity behind every single shot every single choice of how we're going to try to portray this fight and and move things in different ways and use characters in different ways and express the the anger of broly um it's just the directorial choices and the stylistic choices of this movie combined with the the aesthetic, like the core aesthetic of the characters and of like the what the the look the movie's going for. Those two things just make this movie feel at like on one end completely unlike anything that Dragon Ball has ever been, and on the other hand, like some a look that Dragon Ball has always kind of been going for in different ways. And it, it it's it's that kind of thing of like it almost like looks like the way you kind of imagine Dragon Ball looking when you if you haven't seen it in a long time and you're thinking about some of those crazy fights like when you actually watch the fight between like Goku and Cell in the Cell arc like there's some really good stuff in there but a lot of that is just like characters looking at the sky and there's like a boom 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 and they're moving too fast than you can see here they don't really take that cop out of like oh the characters are moving so fast you can't see them because the camera is with the characters so it's like it doesn't matter with like I'm sure Bulma is just looking at the explosions of the sky and she has no idea what's happening. But you're not looking at her perspective. You're with the characters as they're experiencing well, this fight, and that commitment in this movie is amazing. And that connects to something else I wanted to say about the animation, which is that you know that style necessitates a lot of CGI. There's a lot of CGI in yeah. this movie because you cannot do camera movements like that in hand-drawn animation. It's just literally impossible. Um, and Battle of Gods and Resurrection F had a fair amount of CGI here and there as well. And it looked really bad in those movies because it just clashed so much. You just could always tell when CGI was breaking into our nice hand-drawn movie. And it just looked awful. It often does. Like, this is a problem anime has is that anime has embraced a lot of digital technology, but it is not 3D. So when you put 3D elements in, it just looks stupid. 
This movie has a lot of 3D elements, but because of that basic art style, you always have something in the image you're coming back to. So like you can have like a big 3D environment, like when Broly blows up the entire ice area and now it's a volcano and shit, there's a lot of CGI there, but Broly and Goku still look like they have just stepped out of the manga and they are hand-drawn creations who again look earthy and like we could reach out and touch the drawings and that is so awesome to see and they've even done stuff like someone pointed this out online and then I saw the movie again and I totally noticed it and it's awesome there are moments where the character models go full CGI because they have to for what they're doing and what they've done very clearly is they took the CGI model and rotoscoped on top of it they drew over it so they drew an actual image of Goku like they would on pen and paper over the CGI so it's like a CGI skeleton with nice hand-drawn animation that fits the aesthetic of the movie over that you know it's still jarring in some moments and it's frequently supposed to be jarring but it's it's actually very similar to what arc system works does with dragon ball fighters in how it is this there is this hand-drawn component to everything so that it never feels like you're stepping out of that and making these wild stylistic breaks that don't fit the aesthetic there are big stylistic breaks but they feel like an extension of the aesthetic not we're throwing the aesthetic out for now yeah, exactly. Like, you know, it, it definitely the CG integration is not always perfect. It, it is that thing of like, it feels like anime is still working towards finding a way to blend those two things more seamlessly. But this is the best integration I've seen of it. And I think you captured it right that it's like a lot of times when you're watching an anime, whether it's a movie or it's a TV show, and there's like a major element on screen is CG, not just like a car in the background or something like that. I never care about, but like, you know, I was recently, I was just watching a show called Overlord on Crunchyroll. Um, I was catching up on the most recent season that aired. And that's a show that, like, you know, sometimes the animation looks good, but, like, sometimes they have these, like, zombie creatures on screen that will be CG. And it just feels like you're, like, drop kicked out of the, the show because it's, like, this just so clashes. Some of the CG that the show actually kind of got okay. But a lot of times it's just, like, this just doesn't fit. And so it's, like, it doesn't, like, I don't mind, like, me being able to notice that it's CG because fucking i'm 26 years old i've watched a lot of movies i've watched a lot of animation i will probably be able to tell when it switches to cg stuff um but as long as it matches and it doesn't feel like this is something that is like a you pulled something from something completely different and just shoved it into this image as long as it feels like this matches the aesthetic of what i'm going for and feels like it could exist in the aesthetic that i have seen up to this point then i can accept it and move on and i feel like that's the hurdle that this movie overcomes and that's pretty huge Oh, it's absolutely huge, and it's just, it's a wonder to behold, and we're focusing on the fight here a lot, and we'll get back into it later, but it should be said, the animation in this is stunning in every shot, the entire movie, whether there's a big battle going on or not, which the first hour of this movie there is not, it's just, it's consistently the colors and the texture of it, and just the quality of the drawings, it... It looks so good. The, 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 the statistic I saw was that I think Resurrection F had a budget of around $5 million, and this movie had a budget of around $9 million, which is a big jump for animation. And, I mean, that's almost double, in, or it's at least a third more. And you can just tell that the love and care went into this in every frame. And I agree, it's, it's very out of character for Toei, who are cheap bastards, uh, generally. Yeah, they're, 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 like, one hand cheap bastards, but it also just feels like they're products whether it's a movies they produce or it's tv shows just feel like they fit a very standard 
stylistic and directorial template yeah. and it's like and that can be fine like i'm you know i love the way that dragon ball and dragon ball z like the classic show feels like they animated what could be like a classic like kurosawa movie that's one of the reasons why that classic the kikichi score works so much is the the, the show was scored that way it was kind of shot and directed that way um but i do really love this movie because you know obviously when the fight shit happens it goes super crazy with it because it has the opportunity to but it's like stylistically and directorially experimental all throughout like even in talking scenes you know in the whole opening segment a lot of that stuff when frieza shows up there's a lot of really interesting weird choices and like particularly when this movie just loves using super crazy close-ups on eyes for characters that's like Anime already loves close-up on eyes. Like, I get that. But this is like, no. You're going really deep and, like, really focusing on it as this, like, directorial... Or, like, this, like, aesthetic, like, obsession or fixation on something that I really loved. And it, it just felt like this movie had a spirit to it that was very unique. Um, not just for Dragon Ball, but for, like, animated films in general. It felt like this thing has an aesthetic that it commits to um, that is very much its own. Yeah. I mean, this is... This is some of the best animation I have ever seen, and it just, for it to be in the world of Dragon Ball that I love so much, it's overwhelming at times, you know? Like, it's yeah. overwhelming to see, like, Frieza drawn in the early parts of this movie when he is his base form from the, for, you know, like, from earlier in the story, um, back on the Namek arc. And, like, they've played with his color scheme a little bit, but they've also drawn him. He just looks so much more like my memory of the manga and of the drawings than kind of the, you know, final processed version you'd get in the anime, which looked really great, too. And I'm not putting down the original anime, but just there's something about seeing it done with this much love and care. And we haven't seen that on Frieza before. It's glorious. It's just glorious. Yeah. It's one of the things I love about the movies that there's a couple of moments. There's like particularly two moments where they're like. There's like the big juicy montage moment where they do the time skip to the present day where you get to see a bunch of iconic Dragon Ball stuff very briefly animated in that style. And then there's another moment when Goku is talking to Broly about like, you're not our enemy. I don't like I've fought a lot of bad guys, but I don't think you're one of them. And then there's this quick shot of like all the major villains in Dragon Ball. And like, I love like a part of me feels like they put both those in just to be like, hey guys look how fucking cool all these characters look yep. drawn this way like like you know there's a quick shot of like super boo or something in that like lineup of villains i'm like awesome like i can't wait till i have the blu-ray so i can freeze frame and just look at that image for a while and be like that's a really great looking version of super boo i'm just glad this is a, they didn't need to put this in the movie but i'm super glad they did oh absolutely i i think even the flashback frieza has to Krillin getting blown up is reanimated because you like yes. in the show they would have just used footage usually from Dragon Ball Kai which has is its own bag of worms but it's just like yeah just little brief snippets of like oh what if they reanimated Dragon Ball they don't need to the original is great but like oh man that looks good yes yeah I, I do really love the brief I just like getting to revisit the moment when Krillin explodes yes like let's let's go back to that moment for a second um because it also is just like great payoff in the movie yes uh, oh man. Okay, so let's talk now about all the other shit. It's so good. I mean, while we're staying on style, I do just because I don't want to forget it. The score to this movie is fantastic. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Norihito Sumitomo took over musical duties uh, on Battle of Gods. He started there, and he's composed everything since. Dragon Ball had kind of been in the wilderness because Shunsuke Kikuchi, who was the original composer of the anime, 
I don't know if he's retired, but I haven't seen him work on anything for a while. And then the kind of natural successor was a guy named Kenji Yamamoto, who did all the video games and then did Kai. And then while Kai was wrapping up in Japan, its initial arc, it turned out, I mean, everyone had known this for years on like the message boards, but Toei figured it out that he was a plagiarizing monster. (laughs) And like a lot of his music was just like, like not, it was like he plagiarized like Danny Elfman and Pink Floyd. Like there's this, I think it's, Super Butoden 2 on the Super NES Cell's theme is just like Pink Floyd's The Wall or something like that. Yes, yeah. Um, It's like, so he was very brazen about it. So they had to fire him. That's why Kai exists in such a weird form musically. Um, And so Sumitomo kind of became the new guy. And he did Battle of Gods. He did Resurrection F. When Super started, he was the composer on Super. He did the Boo arc of Kai, which we got as the final chapters. Uh, And a lot of the music for the final chapters was reused in Super, uh, particularly the Tournament of Power. A lot of that is from the Boo arc of Kai. And I think we would both describe Sumitomo as hit or miss. Like... Some yeah. when he hits, I think it can be pretty effective. Like there's good moments throughout his run. Like there's a there's a piano lick that is in Battle of Gods when Goku has given up against Beerus and they're up in space and just having their conversation that is one of my favorite Dragon Ball musical moments. But there's also just some like really dumb, goofy, cheap sounding music in that movie. Same with some of the other films. Super kind of waxed and waned, and then I think Future Trunks arc, good music, uh, Tournament of Power, generally great music, but it's still kind of hit or miss. This movie is just a great film score. It has really clear, identifiable themes. It builds them in really interesting ways. Um, There is a track on the soundtrack called Broly vs. Gogeta Battle Theme or something like that. And that one, that's one of the ones that has the cool, (laughs) weird vocal things they do too, where it's like, Super Broly Gogeta Sugoi Power. And it's... Yeah, there's just like chanting in some of the tracks during the fight. Yeah. So it's like that's part of where like the movie is stylistically experimental across the board yes. because it's like I've never like it's you know I've heard soundtracks that do things sort of like that, but nothing that does exactly what yes. this, this soundtrack does. But in I was those but I was gonna say that track is combining three major motifs. There's a theme mm-hmm. for Frieza and his like army. There's a theme for Broly, and then it's also combining the theme Blizzard by Daichi Miura, which is the theme song for the movie that's in the credits, which is just a fucking awesome song too. Uh, and it's combining all of those, and it's like that's part of why the fight has the impact it does is the music is driving you along in the way good movie composing does. It's an amazing soundtrack because I've listened to the soundtrack now and it's just, it's really, really top-notch film scoring and I feel like Sumitomo has kind of like come full circle and I'm like, he he owns the music of the modern day franchise now in a positive way. Yeah, because it definitely felt like he got better and better throughout Dragon Ball Super to the point where like in the turn of the power, particularly like the, the final stretches, like the last dozen episodes or so, of the turn of the power like some of the stuff he does with the music is just incredible um and so this feels like a natural extension of it but yeah it is particularly the way that the score uses interlocking themes and there's just some like really distinctive iconic little melodies um i think probably my favorite is that like that sort of frieza broly theme the like that theme is whenever that plays, it's so good. Particularly when Broly is reintroduced after he's grown up and he like flies into the camera and that like that four note melody just like swells up. It's a such a powerful little bit of film scoring. But it's that kind of thing that like we've talked about this all the time on this podcast, but so many movies have just like kind of abandoned using that style of film scoring for something that's far more generic and just kind of dull. 
and this movie does not does not sleep on its music. It's not just like a, which is kind of what I would feel say for like a lot of Battle of Gods and Resurrection episodes. It's like eh, the score is whatever it is. Here it feels like the score is like a vibrant, vital part of what the movie is doing, and it's constantly contributing and it's constantly evolving, and it's and it's very intelligently put together using the different themes. If there's a one thing I wish the movie did is, and this is probably mostly just because I watched the trailer too many times, but the I so associated. Uh, Super Saiyan Blue Gogeta with that Blizzard song because yeah. it's in that really awesome trailer. That, that the trailer that plays whenever I fucking load up Dragon Ball Legends on my phone. So I've seen it a lot um, because it's just always a fun little like fucking minute of. It's a fun way to spend a minute of your life is just to watch that trailer. That I was kind of bummed that that song didn't just start playing once the Gogeta fight started. That's probably when I watched the movie again. That will not bother no, me because at all. But it, it was something where it's like I was kind of expecting it, and was like, "Oh wait, of course, that's just the song that plays over the ending credits." And I did notice that some of the music from the song was in the score. Oh, it's. But I was like, wanted it to be like full ultimate battle from Dragon Ball Super. Just like, let's just fucking go. It kind of is. It's hard to notice your first time, definitely. But it's like it's not the vocals. It's not like a full insert song. But in that big track for the main Broly versus Gogeta fight. Uh, there's a big swell of it. It's the main melody, orchestral. It sounds amazing. I think in the movie, it's it comes in really prominently when the two new characters, um, what are their names? Chila. Yeah, Chila uh, and and. Uh, I had it up. Uh, it was Chila and where's Tomokaze? Uh, Limo. Yeah, Chila and Limo are running down the hall, being like, "We gotta save Broly. Let's use these Dragon Balls." It comes in there. Um, and it continues okay, throughout yeah. that sequence. Anyway, it's it's really good. You should get the soundtrack. It's so fucking good. I could just give it to you. Um, but yeah, it's 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 on YouTube, Jonathan. Yeah, well, I could give you the MP3s. I've got it. <laughs> anyway, um, but it's good stuff. Uh, and there are so many good musical moments, though. Like when they do the flash forward, and there's the orchestral version of Chala Head Chala. Oh, that's oh, so good. Oh my god. Oh, it's amazing. It's so- yeah, we'll get more into it. We talk about like the plot yeah stuff, that's yeah. so good uh the scene where bardock and um what's his mother's name now it's uh uh Gine, yeah um when Gine and bardock send goku off as a kid the music in that scene is so good like i got teary in the theater at that because it's such mm-hmm, a powerful moment uh there's so many good musical moments in this film the one that closes the movie when goku is talking to broly and and it it ends with him like instant transmissioning away that's just a great piece of music it's it's so good and and i just i want to stand up and applaud sumitomo because like if there was one way battle of gods and resurrection f were seriously lacking compared to the old dragon ball movies it was the music because the old dragon ball movies have phenomenal music now a new dragon ball movie has phenomenal music and i'm so happy yeah, I mean, honestly, when we rewatched those Broly movies, the music was probably the best part of those three of those It's easily movies. the best part yeah. of those movies. But movie 8 has, like, all that music is really important in the series for right, the rest yeah. of its run. Like, it's it's really important music. But, yeah. All right, let's talk about the story. And it's actually pretty clear which parts to talk about because we've got the prologue, the middle section, and the fight. Let's start with the prologue, which might be my favorite part of the movie. It's so good. Mm-hmm. I kind of just want a movie of this at some point. Because it's it's really, like, it's bold to just say, we're going to start the movie with 30 minutes in the past. This isn't a prologue. This isn't, like, five minutes and then titles. It's 30 minutes, and then we're going to go to the future. And it is just act one of the movie. It's like Superman the movie, 1978. Like, this is an act of the film. And it is so fucking good. 
And I was actually, if there was any part of the movie I was worried about going in, it was this part because part of this section is based on a chapter that was a bonus chapter in Jacko the Galactic Patrolman called Dragon Ball Minus, which I think is one of the worst things Toriyama has ever written and drawn. It's like, it's like 11 pages. It's really rushed. It's like a kind of bafflingly bad take on Bardock and everything where it's just like, it's it's almost like you took that line from like the dub back in the day where so I think Raditz told Goku their father was a great scientist and like made that into a chapter and it's like kind of like just it's like so, kind of weirdly soulless it just doesn't feel good and without radically altering the story of that chapter this movie and this this prologue and I think the way it's contextualized by all the different father characters here it's it's really well done it completely kind of changes our understanding of the Saiyan race. It fleshes it out so beautifully. It changes our understanding of Frieza. It's really, really good. Yeah. Like, it's the most, like, coherent and competent piece of world building I think I have ever seen from the Dragon Ball franchise. It's just, like, because we talk about this a lot, of, like, Dragon Ball is one of the things that's really fun about Dragon Ball, I think that something that trips some people up about it is that when Toriyama was running Dragon Ball and just writing the manga, and obviously the anime was based on his stuff, he was like, full speed ahead, like, when I am done with something, I am done with it. So it's like, once I'm, I've had played my joke with lunch, that character is just fucking gone. And the anime will have a nice little scene where she has followed Tenshinhan, and then she will disappear from the anime. The manga, she doesn't even get that. She just fucking disappeared in the ether between the Piccolo tournament and when Goku shows up and all the Raditz shit starts happening. You know, once fucking Gohan turns into a giant ape uh, in that Vegeta fight, ape shit never happens. It just, nobody talks about it. It's never referenced. It's like nobody's tails grow back. Like, I don't know with Trunks and Goten, who knows? Like, it's stuff like that of where once, once Toriyama was done with something, he moved on from it. And like, like, and if something changed, whatever. Like, if, if it was like, if it's inconvenient for me to have the moon be destroyed at this part of the series, I will say that at some point, God just put the moon back. Fine, we won't deal with it. Like, there, it's done. Like, somebody wished the moon back. I don't know. Like, who? how many wishes do you get from the Earth's Dragon Balls? Nobody knows. This movie doesn't know. <laughs> Nobody knows. Yeah. Right? So it's one of the things, and it's like, I don't dislike that about Dragon Ball. It's thing, one of the things I really like about Dragon Ball. But something that has, I think it's one of the things that has always held back the non-canonical or like extra-canonical material in Dragon Ball is that it is really hard to do that kind of stuff when it's based on a work made by a madman who doesn't give a shit about his own continuity and canon, right? Yes. So it's like, it's one of the things that makes a lot of the movies and like the weird extra stuff really difficult. And like, I think it's one of the things that like GT was always just kind of in a weird space with. And it's one of the things that makes super work is that super kind of has a similar attitude and it's just like, fuck it, we're just moving forward. You know, we don't give a shit about the giant ape stuff, which is something that, you know, GT always went back to. Um, and, but... The thing that this movie does is it says, well, let's actually take the time and care if we're going to do backstory and we are, which like necessitates you to do like be concerned with the canon and continuity and all that kind of stuff. Like you, if you're going to do backstory, you have to care about that shit because it's literally what the story is. Let's take the time and attention to actually do it right. And that's what this movie does. And so every single little detail of, you know, just, just a tiny, tiny little thing like, 
King Cold was the one who subjugated the Saiyans, and he's been the one who's been ruling over the Saiyans for however long, and then passes it on to Frieza, is such a more, like, cogent and coherent explanation of, like, the Frieza stuff and the existence of King Cold himself, which has always been a bizarre part of Dragon Ball, when King Cold just shows up and gets smoked by Trunks without even a fight, you know? Um, like, little tiny details like that. Details of, like, this is how the Scouters come to be. Um, but for me, the most important thing this movie does that is something that, like, so much sci-fi fantasy stuff never understands is that you can't, you just can't have an entire species be defined by one thing and one thing only. And for the longest time, the Saiyans were entirely defined by we are, like, crazy fighting people, and that's it. And, and since that was basically vaguely how the Saiyans were set up in Dragon Ball Z whenever Raditz and Vegeta talked about it, you know, but but they were all dead. And so the only examples of the Saiyans we had were Goku, Raditz, Nappa, and Vegeta. And that was the only canon Saiyans that, like, were proper full-blooded Saiyans. Um, and since Nappa, Vegeta, and Raditz are all assholes, and Goku's not an asshole, three-fourths of the Saiyans are assholes, and that just meant all the Saiyans are assholes. And so every bit of extra-canonical material, like whether it's the Bardock special or what have you, or the Broly movie with Fergus and stuff, every look you got at the Saiyans, or in like GT and stuff, GT is also very guilty of this, everything just went with that tack and just said, the Saiyans were massive assholes and they just went around and killed shit and that's the only thing they were. And this movie makes the smart decision of saying, literally no species can be that, right? Like we're human beings. Think of the, all the different kinds of cultures that exist among humans. There has never been and will never exist a culture in hum among human beings that is defined by one trait. I don't care how much the Vikings love to fight. The Vikings didn't only fight. The Vikings composed poetry. They made music. They built ships. They built houses. They had art and architecture and culture. And yes, they went around and raided and killed people too. And that was a big part of their culture. That's not the only thing they did. And it's one of my big pet peeves and stuff like Star Trek where you just end up with these species that are defined by one thing. This movie, even if you only get this brief glimpse into things, you see, here's a saying that cooks and like sells food. Here's a saying that's like, I love there's like some weird like Grand Vizier fucker with King Vegeta. That's just this little tiny saying in the back with like this staff that's just standing in the background of all those shots that has some sort of duties around the palace. And here's you have a couple of characters like that guy who's with Bardock and then the guy that Paragus kind of pseudo kidnaps to take the His ship. His name is They're Beats. Like I love, it's a great name. It's yes. Beats. <laughs> Yeah, beats. So it's like you have engineers and technicians. It's like there are Saiyans that aren't fighters. And then there's also, you get a sense of like King Vegeta has like a whole caste system thing and there's him and all the Saiyans that live in the palace. And you actually get the sense of like, oh, here's what, why Vegeta, Prince Vegeta, the Vegeta that we know is so hung up on the like royalty lower class Saiyan thing because you get a much better sense of oh, here's where all the normal Saiyans live and, like, Bardock is some cool, like, leader of the community or something among these, like, normal Saiyans that live out here. But it's such a different world between them and the people, that, the Saiyans that live in the palace. And it's just a, a full look at what this species is and a much better look at what their culture is. And that's one of the things I find just so effective. It is true about every single detail they present in this prequel stuff is that they really cared about what are the implications of this? What is stuff that we've said in past Dragon Ball stuff that we can use to inform this? 
but how can we really flesh out this world in, on, in its own right? And that's what this movie does. And I love it to death. I agree so much. I, if you had not said all that, I would have said all that because that, so like, for instance, um, if you compare this to Dragon Ball Minus, Dragon Ball Minus was a big step in saying like, like Toriyama had kind of always just, he liked the Bardock special a lot because the Bardock special is great. Um, yes. And he had kind of just accepted it into the canon. Like he has little references to it in the manga. Um, he did not create Bardock. Bardock was not in the manga first. He was in the anime first. And so we had always kind of thought, oh, okay, Toriyama likes that. And then in the manga, he does, in Dragon Ball Minus, he does this weird thing where suddenly Bardock in that chapter acts like very saintly and he's kind of like a little too heroic almost. And I think he's modulated that in this movie in a really interesting way where like Bardock is a a scient he's identifiably a scion in that he fights and he's tough and he's buff and all those things but he also like is conflicted about what he does he fights because it's kind of like it's a job like that's what he was conscripted into it's what he does for work he's not sure how he feels about it he's very conflicted about frieza he does genuinely love his family he's you know conflicted about what to do about his family he doesn't send goku off to go save anyone it's not a suit it's not exactly the story of superman or moses it's more like i think there's more to our people than i'm seeing right now and i'm going to send him off and this is what i mean when i've i've said on twitter and i think earlier in this podcast that i think this movie is hiding not hiding but it has thematic subtext to it that goes deeper than Dragon Ball tends to go, which is that, you know, the prologue is about four fathers, King Cold, Vegeta, uh, Paragus, and Bardock, and the rest of the movie is about four sons, Frieza, Goku, Vegeta, and Broly. And all of those characters have a relationship with one another, you know? And so Bardock sending Goku off in the hope that there is no more to our species than this creates Goku, who is like the ultimate anti-Saiyan in a lot of ways, even though he is also the embodiment of their love to fight. But he makes the Saiyans into something new. And Vegeta in King Vegeta, in having this strict caste system, creates something in his son that is the worst of what the Saiyans are in a lot of ways, right? And, and because little Vegeta is like the last remaining Saiyan at the end, that's why the Saiyans that we came to know are the bad guys. Like, there's this interesting implication that... This movie turns Raditz and Vegeta into unreliable narrators in the original series. Yes. And I love that. I love that now it's... And it's what's amazing is that this prologue contradicts nothing in the original manga. It contradicts mm -hmm. things in like the extra canon material, because of course it does. But if you go back to the original manga, it totally fits that Raditz is bullshitting with Goku. And just saying, like, you were sent here to kill all the humans. Well, no, he wasn't, but... I mean, A, maybe Raditz really thought that, or B, Raditz is an asshole. He's an unreliable narrator. Vegeta is an unreliable narrator. I love that about it, that you go back to the actual species and these these last surviving members were unreliable narrators of this. Um, and, you know, you have Paragus, who is seems neither like a bad or good scion, but is turned into like the worst of the worst because of the abuse he suffers, and he passes that down onto Broly, who also like is is kind of like the id of the science unleashed and so this prologue is not just exposition and world building it is that and it does that beautifully and i agree with everything you said it's also setting up all these really interesting thematic things that frankly took me two viewings to to start to untangle all of this in that the fight itself at the end of this movie is an extension of the themes set up in the prologue and I think all of yeah. that is, it's just, it's frankly more like literarily ambitious than Dragon Ball tends to get. And it's awesome. 
Yeah, it's one of the things that, like, you know, like, this story needs to be a movie. You know, like, it would be, I guess, like, you could do something sort of equivalent if it was a miniseries of, like, OVAs or something. But structurally, it, it needs to be a film. It doesn't feel like, like a lot of, you know, the older Dragon Ball movies um, that were just like, eh, this feels like four episodes of the TV show that you, like, kind of sp- sp- put together or whatever. Like, more, but like, three, given the running time, two or three. Um, this feels like a really deliberate choice to structure it in these like very clear three acts that inform and build on one another and you're 100 percent right it is it goes for something more thematically sort of cogent and, and deep than what dragon ball normally is trying to go for usually with dragon ball like there is some of that stuff that's like baked into the background because i think there's like it's a really vibrant story with really vibrant characters so some of that stuff is always going to be there no matter what if you're like playing with such sort of like potent material but this movie is way more deliberate about how it goes about uh, telling its story. And yeah, that prologue section, for, for all the reasons we both laid out of uh, the world building and also like the thematic like place setting that it does, um, is it's like it might legit, I, like you said earlier, it might be my favorite part of the movie. It's, it's yeah. like, we, it's you know, it's just like think of like, you know, the fight is fucking amazing and I love the fight and I'll probably watch the fight a bunch and I'm sure like the next fucking 10 years of my life is going to be this like a repeated pattern of like every five months I'll like watch a minute clip of that fight on YouTube as it like floats up and recommends because I just am constantly watching clips of Dragon Ball stuff that I like um but it's this opening section of the movie that like really took me off guard um that that set that set my expectations appropriately for the rest of the movie this is different like it's not doing the same thing that every other Dragon Ball media does but the important thing that is like it's doing it in a way that is intelligent and, it's, and it doesn't like you said it doesn't contradict anything fundamental about dragon ball or anything literal about the the canon of the manga because one thing that's it's really nice is that i'm like in the middle of the frieza stuff in my manga reread through and so it's like was really good timing for me to be right here right when i was watching the movie because all that stuff of like raditz and vegeta talking about the saiyans and now all the stuff with like frieza is really fresh for me and so all the character stuff they do with the saiyans and the character stuff especially they do with frieza feels really powerful to me and, and, it's, and it's something that's like on another level than what dragon ball particularly like this sort of like post toriyama like not true post toriyama but post like toriyama fully controlling the series era of dragon ball has ever done yes and i mean it's just it's also so well paced because yes, they could have like fast forwarded through a lot of this. I like that it is kind of a slow paced section of the movie and it takes its time where it needs to. It goes faster where it needs to. Every every moment counts in that prologue section. There's a lot of really good stuff. It is it's it's interesting that this is not necessarily a vastly different backstory for Broly. But it's just it's adjusted enough, and they've taken out the stupid thing with Kakarot crying. That that like, and I think because of how it's contextualized around all the other stuff, it just hits you so much harder. Paragus has so much stronger motivations going into this. Broly has so much stronger motivations. The way it characterizes the Saiyan race makes so much more sense. Uh, and then there's just some really good scenes, like when Frieza decides to blow up the planet. That's a I still, ultimately, the, the one in the Bardock special might be my favorite just because it's where Frieza goes, Zaban-san, the Doria-san, look at the pretty fireworks. Oh, and it's his best evil laugh ever. And they don't do that here, which is too bad. But it's still a really great moment. And the way you just feel the destruction of the planet and of Bardock's last stand, just raging against the, the death of his people, uh, it's really great stuff. Yeah. 
One one other thing before we move on from this section that I really I, I love and want to point out is this is something that the movie does across the board is it writes its characters really intelligently. And so and that's both of that, like it's smart about how it uses its characters, but also the characters in the movie that are smart are smart. Yep. And I love King Vegeta and Bardock are both smart. They're not idiots. So it's like I love that because King Vegeta obviously has like he has two justifications but both of them are, le- are legitimate from his perspective of why he's like trying to get rid of Broly. One is that Broly is like you know upstepping his own son, but the other one and like the explanation he gives to Paragus that at first Paragus understands, I think the audience is probably led to understand is like supposed to be bullshit is that Broly is a freak of nature. He is not going to be able to control his power. We're not going to be able to control him. So let's get rid of him before it becomes a problem. Which is basically just what Frieza is doing himself with the Saiyans. And like that explanation is something that feels like, okay, King Vegeta is like feels like a character in this movie in a way that King Vegeta has never felt like a character um, in Dragon Ball stuff. Because he's only ever appeared generally in flashbacks in like the anime. And it's only ever just been like, oh, here's cool. Here's like Vegeta with a goatee. This just feels like a, no, this is a guy who's legitimately been, like, is a king and has been ruling over these people. And he seems brutal and ruthless, yes, but also he, he's not an idiot. It's like, I think, because I do think that he legitimately had both of those reasons for getting rid of Broly and he was not just bullshitting when he gave that second one. And I also love that Bardock puts together what is happening to the Saiyans in Frieza through logic. He, he didn't go fight a weird fish dude on a planet some far really far away and get magic telepathy powers which has always been by far the weakest part of the bardock special is yes. just like a, eh, he just gets magic powers because this thing is like 40 minutes long and we don't have enough time to do this so because well, they're also has- characterizing him in that as a dumb scion like all scions in like the original extra continuity stuff are a base level of stupid right yeah they're all morons and so it's like here you need to be able to see the fucking future to figure this shit out here, it's like, you know, a lot of the Saiyans don't seem to have a great idea of what's going on. Um, but, like, not because they're stupid, but because it's like, I think it would be legitimately hard to even fathom, oh, yeah, that guy's going to blow up our entire planet. In the same way that, like, you know, Hitler or Donald Trump become to power. It's the same kind of shit. So it's like, I don't blame the Saiyans for not thinking about this shit. But Bardock being able to look at everything that's happening and him having this sense of, like, this is a really battle-hardened guy who has seen a lot of stuff. Um, and he's not a moron, and so he can he can put two and two together. He's probably done this fucking trick to try to assemble a bunch of people into one spot so he can blow them all up, because this is a guy who goes around and takes over planets. And so, like, that sense of, this is a guy who has had experiences and is able to see what is going on around the margins and put two and two together and kind of follow his hunch to save Goku. I Like, it's just a thing that is true across this entire movie it has such a smart sense of its characters and and how to use them and how to make them feel alive and have them act according to the way that you think those characters would actually act according to their experiences and who they are absolutely uh, all good stuff okay so we flash forward into the present day and now we have again we're into the next generation of characters if we had the fathers now we have the sons so we have goku and vegeta are fighting on the island that bulma has you know, built out for them because she's very rich. I like how Super has really started to, like, flaunt Bulma's wealth. It's good. It's a good look. Like, because she is that fucking rich. They invented fucking capsules. That's amazing. She would totally have that kind of money and just build a fucking island. Why not? So her husband and her best friend can just beat each other up. It's great. Yes. And and that 
transition from the past to the present timeline all while it's playing this cool version of Chala Hitchala is just amazing. I would like was bouncing in my seat basically once that started happening. And it's like, because it, you know, it transitions from seeing Goku and Vegeta fighting in like the montage to them fighting in the present day Dragon Ball Super timeline. And, and, and it was a thing of like, wait, is that, are they fucking playing? Oh my God. They're playing Chala Hitchala as that like montage is happening. Yeah. I just, and, and that's also the first taste you get of like the fight choreography and animation style for this movie. It's just like fucking a, this is going to kick ass. Yep. And this is where we get all the stuff with Goku, Vegeta, Bulma. We've got Beerus and Whis there. And we've also got Frieza is off doing his evil schemes. And that's basically our cast for this movie, along with Broly and Paragus and some of the new characters. And, you know, I think you and I would both agree Goku and Vegeta are not the main characters in this movie. No, definitely yeah, not. Yeah, and, and in fact, they're in it somewhat infrequently, uh, certainly through this act. Uh, but there is, like, I love this stretch because it is fucking funny. And it is not just funny, it's Toriyama funny. It is so mm. pure, uncut Toriyama comedy in like the, the specific way they like have Goku and Vegeta fighting over Frieza being resurrected. And in the uh, absolutely perfect joke of Bulma wanting the Dragon Ball so she can be five years younger and Frieza wanting the Dragon Ball so he can be five centimeters taller, that is the most Toriyama joke Toriyama has ever written. Yes, it's it's amazing. Like in the just the, the way that they play the those two jokes of like you know cutting from the Bulma one to the Frieza one, and then like you as the viewer the slow realization of oh they're doing the same joke again. There's there's but a it, cut I love in the movie between they zoom in on like Bulma's like mouth and lips, and it just card cuts to Frieza's mouth and lips, and he's like yeah, weird it's lipstick like a, thing. <laughs> yeah, it's like a weird match cut matching Bulma and Frieza, two characters you would not expect a match cut no. between. And, and so it's like, yeah, when they first do it, it's just like, what the fuck was that cut? And then like, as the, the joke is developing, you're like, oh my God. But it leads to one of the things that I love so much about this movie is its usage of Frieza. Yes, I wanted to talk about this. so great because it's the kind of thing that I can see some people, I like I could understand some Dragon Ball fans not loving that like, that Frieza is just doing this, like getting using the Dragon Balls for a very petty reason. But Frieza's me, a petty bitch. That's what he, he is. Yeah, Frieza's a petty bitch, but it's also it's such a perfect encapsulation of how much he has developed as a character since they brought him back, and why it was such a smart move and like the critical move that Resurrection F made of bringing Frieza back into play. Not just like he's alive again, but he's like relevant in terms of like the power levels and stuff. Is, is that there's so much untapped... There, there was so much untapped material with Frieza that it just was kind of a waste to have that character just be dead forever. And so bringing him back with this, it's like, fucking A, he's just funny and has such a strong presence in the movie and is threatening when he needs to be threatening and menacing when he needs to be menacing. But also there's like a legitimate good chunk of character development in that sense of, right, the Frieza that we knew from the Namek saga, the, the Frieza that's dead who got blown up by goku came back as a robot and then got blown up by trunks that frieza was like one of the things that was really interesting about that version of frieza was that he had this like core insecurity to his character of that he was the most powerful guy around but he always carried this fear and and it was like the fear of the saiyans and the super saiyan rising up and it's what at the beginning of this movie leads to him destroying the Saiyans and you get that it's one of the things that's valuable about having that flashback is revisiting where Frieza started as a character 
but now you revisit and so and so that part of that insecurity is also why he wanted the dragon balls to wish for immortality because that's like it i don't care how many super saiyans come around if i'm immortal i'm good and and that was part of his his whole deal so he was insecure about anybody ever being able to match up to him because he'd never seen anybody as powerful as he was and so now that he's been beaten multiple times basically um he has it, he's sort of Humbled is not quite the right word, but it's like it's like fifty percent of humbled or something. It's what humbled is to Frieza. Yeah, exactly. It's what humbled is to Frieza that Frieza is not is no longer afraid of failure, which is the thing that was always holding him back before, because he has already failed. And so it it, it would be really disappointing to me if he had just been like, mm, yeah, okay, let's go get the Dragon Balls. Time to like now that I'm back in play again, I'm back in the universe. It's time to go back to the thing I was doing on Namek. I want to get the Dragon Balls and be immortal. Him just saying it's like, no, like I don't want to be immortal. I, like I know I know from my experience in Hell, and I always love whenever you can flash back to Frieza hanging from a tree in Hell in this like beautiful paradise. It's it's great that we can get more shots of that. But he knows from hell all the ways that eternal life can go wrong. But he also has, I think, this appreciation of, of like the game of fighting and of like his comp like competition with the Saiyans. There's something that like he he feels alive in this way that it's like he he's passionate about things in a way that Frieza in the Namek arc is just so like eh whatever like yeah I want the the Dragon Balls and I'll be very annoyed if if anybody gets in my way about it. But Frieza just is like spins that whole fucking arc sitting in the, his chair. This Frieza is like bouncing around and being like, I'm I'm alive. I'm having fun. I'm super powerful. This is fucking great. And and that sense of character development for Frieza is so is such a joy for me to see. Mm -hmm. it, it's something that I love that they've made. They have not wasted that choice they made of bringing the character back and have made such good use of it. No, I mean they've fully at this point ingrained Frieza as just part of the main cast and they've done it so much better than I ever thought was possible because he belong he deserves to be part of the main cast he's just that good a character and yeah. uh, I should just say we'll talk about the dub in full later Chris Ayers he's so good <laughs> as Frieza like you can never top Ryusei Nakao but it is the greatest joy of watching Dragon Ball dubs these days is that that is about as good a match for a Japanese voice as I've ever heard in a dub is yeah. Chris Ayers Frieza is perfect yeah, it was by far the most crucial recast they did for Dragon Ball Kai yes. was getting that new Frieza in. And yeah, that that was like when I watched through Dragon Ball Kai back when it was just the Frieza and Cell stuff in English with like the English dub. That was like the main thing that made it worthwhile to me was getting to that and being like, holy shit, there's an English Frieza that kicks yes. ass and that's awesome. Um, but what I was going to say is that I think Frieza as the antagonist of this movie, because that is what he is. He's the ultimate antagonist, really. Yeah is a more compelling antagonist than the Frieza of Resurrection F. Like, Resurrection F yes. is a... is We like that movie. It's not the best Dragon Ball movie, but it's it's very solid, and it's got some great moments, and it uses Frieza well. I think it's the least interesting use of Frieza in this era of the show, because what they did with him yeah. on Super and what they do with him in this movie is so much more compelling than just... Because Resurrection F is just, I'm alive, and I'm going to try to settle this old score. In In the Super material, in the Universe Survival arc, and now this... That's part of his motivation, but there's so much more to it. And I love that we finally get a version of Frieza who is just the puppet master. He does not... I guess he fights Broly in this movie in a extraordinarily funny montage. Um, but other than that, like, he's not out there putting his, like, fists on the line. He is from behind just like, 
well, this is hilarious. I got some really strong science here and I'm on my way to Earth. I'm a fuck with Goku and Vegeta because I can. And that is such an amazing use of Frieza. Like Frieza is used better here than at almost any other point in the series. And I think because he's not the guy doing the fighting, it allows you to see a lot more sides of him, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And uh, Chris Ayers is great. He's so good. And I cannot wait to see this in Japanese so I can hear you saying a cow. Yep. <laughs> because I'm mm-hmm. sure, I mean, he's always great. But yeah, I just, I always want to do a tip of the hat to Chris Ayers as Frieza because it's, again, it is, it's the best voice in the Dragon Ball dub at this point, And it's, it's such a perfect match for that character. So. Absolutely. Yeah. But yeah, all the use of Frieza in this is great. Um, but this section of the movie is essentially Broly's. So I think this is the time, Sean. Why is Broly in Dragon Ball Super Broly a great character where Broly in Dragon Ball Z movies 8, 10, and 11 is a piece of shit character? Yeah, well, so the main, let's let's tackle old Broly first and like cover that base. Like We, we don't have to go too deep into it because we did a whole podcast on those movies. But yeah, old Broly was just like, hey, I'm I'm little skinny, lanky Broly. What's up? Ah, Kakarot! And that's that's the character. Yes. It's, it's, that's the character in the first movie. His character in the second movie is Kakarot! And his character in the third movie is just a swamp thing. Um, and that's and it. he just, uh, he's big, he's evil, he punches, he's mindless. In his most famous line was, I'm not a demon, I'm the devil. And then the only reason I really like that line is because I like when it plays when you pick him in Dragon Ball. And, and Bin Shimada did a really good job with the, the role. Yes. His, yeah. Like, yeah. part of why Broly is famous is Bin Shimada is really good at yelling, and his yells are very good. Yes, that's, that's for sure. So, yeah, you give some props to that, but he was like, like, it is that thing where if you look up the phrase one-dimensional in the dictionary, it legitimately should just be a picture of that version of Broly because he is, like, if if that version of Broly was a more sweeping cultural reference point I could use, I literally would use it in a class on Tuesday where I'm talking about rounded flat characters. Like, I don't think a lot of 16-year-olds know what that what old Broly is. But like but that he is, is the literally the best example I could think of for a flat. It really is, and and here's the thing: you could do a great exercise. Show the old Broly movie. Show this Broly movie. Flat character, round character, right? Exactly. Yes, because this God, this Broly is such a good character, Jonathan. Like, like because all the other stuff we've talked about so far, the animation, the music, and and the stuff they do with the flashback, the writing, like all that stuff is great for all those characters and everything. But if this version of if this character of Broly didn't work, this movie would only ever be able to be as good as like a resurrection act. Yes. Like it would be like the fight was awesome, it looked cool, it had some good shit in it. But like so many Dragon Ball movies, the core story is whatever. But they put so much love and care into this version of Broly, and I love him so much. He's my big boy. I just want to give him a big hug because he he has like so much character to him, and like his like the main thing he is. And it's something that is such a smart extension from the Broly from the old movie, but they never just like had any interest in the interiority of that version of the character. But but Broly is a victim of abuse from his father. Like that's what he is. And this movie, like that's so much of his characterization is that he, like it's the, obviously he already gets super powerful when he's angry. But I think one of the main reasons why he's able to get as angry as he is is because he's suffered abuse at the hands of his father for so long because his dad is obsessed with this idea of getting revenge on King Vegeta and on the Saiyans. And so he has trained Broly in a way that you would train a dog 
to be powerful and to fight and he has the fucking shock call around him which like was something that i wasn't expecting to be an element they brought back from the old character but like they bring it back in kind of like and almost in a way that like to like deliberate feels like deliberately shame those old movies of like this is what you do with this kind of material thematically is is it's not just like a you know he's just a puppy dog and then he's he's angry it's you you have to focus a little bit on the interior it's like your responsibility to focus on the interiority of a character like that both because of the nature of the subject matter and how important it is but also just like how important it is in the world and how important it is for this story and how interesting a material it can be for this character and so then you following that little bit of like broly as a kid as a baby and getting the hints of his power when they land on on the planet from star trek to the wrath of khan where, <laughs> like to the point where like i really was hoping that when um the two new characters show up on that planet that paragus would just like break out a fucking earworm or whatever because it's they, so much oh man the planet for wrath of khan you know i think one of the weak links in this dub is the guy who voices paragus i don't think he's that good they should have had ricardo montalban do oh he's dead but if if he's ricardo dead. montalban yeah, was alive that would have been so great Yes, that would have been amazing. But yes, yeah, so you but you have this like whole like kind of Wrath of Khan situation where they've been stranded on this planet. Um, like one key choice they make is that they make Paragus have the most dead simple plan possible. I just want revenge on Vegeta. And the only thing that even makes anything about his like I want revenge on Vegeta possible is Frieza entering the scene. There's no, I'm going to create a new planet Vegeta and lure Vegeta to it and there's going to be a meteor that comes to destroy that planet Vegeta and I'm going to have Super Saiyan, Legendary Super Saiyan Broly go around and do other shit because he's completely inconsequential to my plan to get revenge on Vegeta and it's like none of that shit. There's none of that. It's just I'm a crazy evil dad with a mustache and only one eye and I've abused my son to hell and high water over the course of like 40 years on this hell fucking planet. Um, and I just want revenge on Vegeta and I will take the easiest debate, even if it is just Frieza fucking like showing up, you know, with like literally with like a carrot on a stick for me. I do not care. I will just take any chance I get. Like that's such a more rational characterization for Paragus. And so like his side of the movie works so much so so much that's probably the single biggest improvement over the first broly is just that um but then broly himself in his relationship with his father and then in particular his relationship with the two new characters whose names i will never be able to retain chilai and limo even though they are great characters let's be clear they're great characters i think it'll be easier for me once i hear the japanese cast because they're such japanese names that it's like hard for it to stick for me when i only heard the english uh dub say it but yeah, like once they enter the picture and Broly has like these new friends, particularly with Chi-Lai, and, and he just has this handful of scenes where he's talking and particularly the scene where he talks oh about God. how he has his little like fur coat thing around his waist and he had his whole friend Ba, oh, who's this big, big weasel monster on the planet, which by the way, the spider monsters and the giant weasel creatures that just like have giant necks that come up out of the ground fucking awesome such a great dragon ball weird alien planet to be on like that's like a planet that jacko would go visit um it's just fucking awesome but like yeah his whole backstory of that he had his one friend which was bob the giant weasel monster and then his dad shot its ear off because he didn't want broly to have any friends even if it was a giant weasel monster and so broly took the ear and like made a little blanket thing that he wraps around his waist with it that is like, like I was fucking tearing up at Broly, yep. at fucking Broly. Like I was having a like an emotional moment in that movie theater. See, just like, bro, oh my god, dude, 
probably like that's where it's like i just want to give you a hug man like it's it's gonna be okay you're with friends now these two guys seem awesome like your dad's an asshole but you're not like you you can be more than this like get away from this stuff it is like it's it's so good it is such a good moment i too teared up at that and it was i have had many reactions to dragon ball over the years like getting that emotional is usually not one of them like that kind of emotional um it's an amazing moment. It's a very like Toriyama moment too, in that in in tying this character to such a simple, relatable thing like that, you know. And I think and, and mm-hmm. tying it to his character design, which I want to talk about, um, and that he wears Ba's ear. I mean, oh my god, it's a good scene, and it just it colors everything after it so beautifully. Because I agree, it's just it's like I want to give you a hug, man. I want you to know it's going to be okay. That poor kid. Um, so I agree with everything you just said about how Broly is written. But I want to say the other piece of this is it is infinitely a better character design. Like, Broly yes, yes. in this movie, at the very end when he goes like full Broly Super Saiyan, it's fairly similar to his design from the original movies. It's been tweaked, but it's fairly similar. Up to that point, though, all of the base Broly, the green Super Broly, all the different, all that stuff... It's a different character. Like, it's, it looks vaguely similar to original Broly, but it is, in essence, and I think this is true in the writing as well, this is not the same character who was there in the 90s, right? And, yes. and the way Toriyama has drawn him, where he's... Li- like, this character literally wears his interiority on his... Not on his sleeves, because he doesn't wear sleeves, but on his, like, waist with Ba's ear. And, like, I think the specific, like, tone of skin they have for him, where he's very tanned, he just, he looks so much more like a Toriyama creation. There is so much life and soul in his visual design. And when he starts fighting, again, they don't just have him, like, like roid out and become the Hulk. He just kind of changes his stance and his visage and all these things. And it is such a cool way he fights and everything. It is... It cannot be overstated how important having a proper Toriyama Broly character design is to this movie because I feel like it's fifty percent writing, fifty percent animation, and they're both really important. Yeah, and it's like he loses all like the weird like color stuff that like like the the coloring of Broly has always been like like of his clothing of the old design has always been something that's never really connected for me, and it's always been like what like it it so clearly just was not a Toriyama aesthetic, yeah. and it just. It, he was gaudy looking, you know, like quite literally he had like all the jewelry and the weird bracelets and all that shit. And here his his look is so simple and, and he has like very plain, you know, once he gets the armor on, he has very plain sand armor. He has longish hair that kind of comes down over his face a little bit. He's like he his expressions play so clearly across his face, which that's like one of the main benefits of this animation style also and like of just having like the budget of the movie and the time um is being able to animate the emotions on everybody's faces so clearly but for broly in particular who's like a character that just expresses everything he's kind of feeling in the moment which a lot of the time is he's very angry but when he's not like he's kind of like depressed and sad and everything about his character communicates that to you visually um so, yeah, like these these characters, I like I had like the character design didn't strike me as much as it would have if I hadn't been playing the fucking Dragon Ball Legends game where I've had <laughs> that character for like a month now, so I'm very used to it. But yes, it's it's everything about the way that character is put together uh, visually is a, a million times improvement, and I I'm very much looking forward to whether it's in the next season of DLC for Dragon Ball Fighters or if they like revamp the Broly character that already exists in Dragon Ball Fighters for another version of the game or something. I'm very excited to see 
that version of that visual design of the character replace the one that is Dragon Ball Fighters now because I cannot go back. Nope. Like I never really liked old Broly, but I really would cannot go back to the way that well, old Broly looks. Because now, like you look at old Broly and he always has this like evil grin on his face when he's doing mayhem, and one of the just like. It's subtle, but it is such a key change is the way Broly fights in this movie is not out of malice. It is out of a lack of control. And that may seem like a small yeah. distinction, but it, the way it plays in the movie, I watch this Broly fight and I don't even think about the other Broly. Even when they quote the old movies, like there's a scene where he is, and I, this scene is so great for how it is one of the most visceral moments of Dragon Ball fighting I've ever seen where he is like ragdolling Goku all around and then he picks yeah. up Goku and just shoves his head in the ice and rams it across. That is a direct quote of something Broly does to Gohan in the first Broly movie, right? Yeah. I didn't even think about that though because this Broly is doing it for such a massively different reason. That Broly is doing it because he's a sadist and he's like, I'm going to fuck this kid up. This Broly is doing it because he is acting like a literal ape you know like he is acting all this aggression out because he has no outlet for it and he has no control and he's just causing harm because it's instinct and it is such a massively different characterization through the fighting and i think that's really important to talk about too like one of my favorite little pieces of exposition in this whole movie is paragus explaining that he thinks the source of broly's power is that he has like internalized the power of the great ape and that he's like he has the power of a great ape in a cyan body, which is why he can't control himself. Good God, is that a better explanation for Broly's power than anything in the original movies? Yeah, there's no fucking around with, like, the legendary Super Saiyan versus all these normal Super Saiyans we have, which is just something I've never bought. Like, it's never... Yeah, like, like I'm really glad that they don't fuck around with any of that dumb stuff. Um, but yeah, like, one of the things they do with his character here, I think is a key difference that you just pointed out, is that he's not evil and it's like old broly even though like I, oftentimes i don't think of old broly of like oh yeah he was he's like the evil guy i think of him as like oh yeah he's the guy who he has so much power that he loses control but when you watch the actual movies he's just fucking he just turns evil and he and has like, control that's where the akuma line comes from yeah so that's like i think one of the main things here it's like here's like the the comparison old broly is like a bad version of dr jekyll and mr hyde this Broly is a good version of the Incredible Hulk. Yeah, like, yeah, totally. So it's like he's, it's nothing he's doing is out of malice. Everything he's doing is because once he gets angry, once he lets loose, he can't rein himself in anymore, but he's never doing anything because he wants to do it. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, let's talk about the fight because I think, you know, this, that we've covered the second act pretty well, I think. And, you know, Frieza comes to Earth and they, they have their stand. I mean, I do love the, the moment where Goku and Vegeta are just preparing, like, all right, he's coming. Like, and it's just like, at this point, they've seen Frieza so many times. It's like, this is just like, how are we going to deal with this motherfucker this time? You know? And, but now Frieza's brought these two signs and they're like, this is weird. But anyway, the fight starts and this fight is so good, Sean. And before we uh -huh. even talk about the animation, I just want to make a quick comparison. When we talked about movie eight, Broly the Legendary Super Saiyan, you know, what you pointed out, and I think you're right on the money, is that fight is so boring because all it is is super overpowered Broly beating the shit out of everybody. Everybody else is a ragdoll. He's just, it's like that moment from Avengers where Hulk is like doing the thing to Loki. It's that for 30 minutes with none of the characterization. Everyone's acting out of character. And then at the very, very end, Goku gets some power and beats him. And it's boring as shit because there's no dynamism to it. This fight is, all right, we start with Vegeta's going to go 
first. And Broly comes at him, and Vegeta is very clearly just testing him. He's just testing the waters. Broly gets powerful. Vegeta powers up a little, beats him. You're right, back and forth a little bit. Then Broly discovers a new thing of power. It's like, oh shit. And now Goku comes into the fight, and they have a back and forth. And Goku tests him for a little bit, but then it comes back, and Broly powers up again. And now Goku is on the defensive, and blah, blah, blah. And then things go crazy, and now Goku and Vegeta have to fuse, and then Gogeta's in. And so, like, the power dynamics are constantly shifting. It is this. There's a lot of character work being done through the fight of of how would Goku approach this? How would Vegeta approach this? Where is Broly at in the development of his like instinctual rage? And so the fight is exciting, not just because it is well animated and looks cool, but because it is scripted dynamically, because there's a lot of give and take in the fight. And even amongst the best Dragon Ball fights, this one understands that better than just about any of them. Exactly, yeah. And it's something that, it, it at a certain point, it doesn't matter how cool-looking the fight is if the narrative context around it is comp- like doesn't work for it. Because um, it's like, you know, the animation for the Broly the Legendary Super Saiyan fight looks spectacular. There's some of those shots, like the shot of when Broly is dragging Gohan's head through the building and it's exploding. Like, looks amazing. And I, I you know, one of my personal favorite shots for that movie is when I think he's, Broly, like, grabs trunks and just flies super far to the background of the shot and just, like, slams into a building and, like, just this giant crater appears on the building. Like, it's, like, a lot of those shots are great and it's, like, you see a, the gif on fucking Twitter or something. It's, like, that looks awesome. But then when you watch the movie, it's the dullest thing in the world because it's just that over and over and over again. And there's no, there's no hope for the heroes to win. The hope that is pulled out is like almost literally a Deus Ex Machina at some point, um, depending on how you, you look at spiritual spirituality and key or whatever. Um, so it's like it's just very dull. Here, there's a couple of key things they do. One key thing is the movie is about Broly. Broly is basically the protagonist of the film. You know, like, you, you start with his development at the beginning. You, you When you revisit him, like, it's it's so much about his journey from being this guy who, who has been abused and cannot control himself to becoming someone who, like, has stepped into this new world and this new phase of his life, and he has friends, and, and maybe can become friends with Goku also. And it's, like, the, the thing at the end of the movie. And one of the things that then really works is that Broly, as our protagonist, have, like, he's the one fighting the uphill battle. Yep. It's not so it's the the mirror image of what Broly's role was in the past movies where he was the antagonist that was always winning always winning here we have Goku and Vegeta who are not antagonists and not really protagonists they're they're supporting characters in this movie is kind of how I would classify them but they are far more powerful than Broly both just in terms of their power level but also in terms of their experience their life experiences fighters and as people and like Saiyans they're just far more mature people than than Broly is uh, than Broly are, Broly is, however the fuck you pluralize that. Um, and so Broly having to fight this uphill battle and like diving deeper and deeper in the depths of his abilities is a lot more dynamic and compelling than just watching these characters that we already know, Goku, Gohan, Trunks, Vegeta, Piccolo, in the old Broly movie, go up against an opponent that is just powerful, more powerful for them than them because, because he's the legendary Super Saiyan. Here we have our protagonist going up against characters that we know and we know their power level. And so the whole time you're sitting there, the audience is sitting there knowing like at any point Vegeta or Goku could go Super Saiyan Blue and this fight would be over. And they're not doing it because they're testing the water with Broly because they know that Broly's not evil. They don't just want to kill him. At one point Vegeta like maybe is trying to kill Broly because he thinks 
there's no hope for the like this is just this guy is completely out of control he's gone rabid i have to put him down but there's no sense of like we're just like this incredibly powerful force that nobody knows nobody understands like burly legendary super saiyan and we're just going to have you fight him for 30 minutes and then the fight is over for whatever. I think the most narratively radical thing this movie does is that the ultimate climax, Gogeta versus Broly, you're not rooting for Goku. You are, yes. you are in fact scared of Goku's power because you are aligned with Chi-Lai and Limo who are scared because Broly's going to get himself killed. Not, and it's like, it's kind of nebulous who's the most powerful here, but clearly Goku and Vegeta are the most experienced. They can at the very least outthink Broly, and they have the upper hand in that fight, and you are scared for Broly because you don't want Goku and Vegeta to kill him. That's where, like, like POV is really important here, and your point of view yeah. is with Chi-Lai and Limo being like, fuck, that Goku guy, that Gogeta guy is really powerful, and Broly's just this kid. They don't know that about him. Like, this is fucked up. And so when Goku is getting that Kamehameha ready, it's not the same feeling that you usually get when Goku's getting a Kamehameha ready. It is, ah, shit, I don't want him to evaporate Broly. That sucks. And I, that's never happened. That's, Dragon Ball has never done that. And that is just a new thing Dragon Ball has done here. Kind of like when Battle of Gods ends with Goku just abjectly losing the fight. It's like, Dragon yeah. Ball's never done that. That's amazing. Dragon Ball had never done that here, and it is such a radical, interesting thing. And I agree, it's Broly's development through the fight that matters, and I think especially when you view it that way, it's so much more exciting. Yeah, and it's one of those things that... It, they, because it, it's it's really exciting for the Broly character, and because we, you know, by that point, we've kind of come up with the Broly character through the movie and, and come to really love him. But then also as a Dragon Ball fan, it continues to do something that is one of my favorite things about Dragon Ball Super, and particularly the turn of power and some of the stuff with the Universe 6 Saiyans, is it gives you that different perspective on these characters we know already, Goku and Vegeta. And so it's like, you know, I coming into this movie, I was not expecting the movie to be so disinterested in the character arcs of Goku and Vegeta. Like this character, this movie just doesn't really care about that, which is fine because the movie is what it is. I was coming into it expecting it more to be from their POV than it to just be so from. That's Broly's that's something that threw me off the first time I saw it. I'll be honest. Yeah, and so it's that thing. But that when I kind of like gave myself over to it, one of the things that's really exciting about that is that. Vegeta and Goku become very threatening and they feel so they feel like this is the most powerful either of those characters have ever felt to yep. me because you're going up against them they're the wall you're trying to overcome they're not the person you're rooting for and you get a little bit of that in Dragon Ball Super when you have like Kabe or Kale and Caulifla that are these other Saiyans that are also like this kind of coming up in Goku and Vegeta or sort of pseudo tutoring them through fighting this is a way more aggressive version than that was in, in Dragon Ball Super in those those different scenes but it's that same sense of like these characters that we love so much have come so far and and you just feel the incredible gap in skill and ability and experience that Goku and Vegeta have have accumulated and it's one of the incredible benefits of this movie being able to you know build off of the foundation of Dragon Ball is that the audience has that pre-existing relationship so the characters of Goku and Vegeta you don't need to put all that work into them for the the audience to like them and so it gives you this space to have this just totally different perspective on those characters when you can adopt Broly's POV. Yes. Let's talk about Goku and Vegeta's role in this for a little bit. Um, I think Goku is very well used in this. I think it's a, the right amount of Goku. I think the writing on Goku is great. The animation's great. I have no complaints with Goku in this movie. Yeah. Vegeta, I, I'm still not entirely sure how I feel. I think he's underused, but slightly. Like, it's just, 
I wish there was an acknowledgement in the movie of Vegeta's character arc in Super where, like, so much of his arc in Super is about kind of rediscovering his Saiyan pride and, and understanding it in a different way than he understood it before and, and taking these people under his wing. And I feel like I wish that had come out more clearly in his confrontation with Broly and that it doesn't felt a little jarring. At the same time... Vegeta is a hard character to use in the movies. There's a reason yeah. why Vegeta is not prominently in any of the movies, really, other than, like... Like, he's in, like, Fusion Reborn, he's in Resurrection F, he's in this one, but he's never the main character. And that's because Vegeta is a character who takes time to develop. He is a still-waters-run-deep scenario where a 90-minute movie is just never going to be the case where you're going to use Vegeta best. Vegeta is best when you're yeah. watching him over weeks and months develop, Right. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And so Vegeta is hard to use in a movie. So I think overall his position in this is probably the correct one. But I guess I just wish there was more of an acknowledgement of it. And it threw me off a little bit that there isn't. And I think you could read the moment where he goes to like fire the big beam at Broly as either that feels out of character for Vegeta in this moment. Or kind of as you said it, it's like he's just Vegeta is also kind of a pessimist and is just thinking like, you know, there's nothing to be done here. Yeah, like I do agree. I think there's two things I wish the movie had. I wish I had one moment with Vegeta, either early, like right when Paragus and Broly show up. I wish there was maybe a little moment with Vegeta there or a moment with Vegeta later in the fight yeah. that does some of that. And I wish there was another emotional beat with Broly somewhere deeper into the fight. Like those are the two beats that I wish the movie had that are like my only like real like substantive criticisms of the movie that are things that I actually suspect that if there's, if there is an extended version, those things are probably in there um, and, and were cut for time or something like Cause that. Cause Goku gets but, that moment. Goku has a great yes. scene where he's, it's in the trailers. He's super Saiyan God. He does this amazingly cool telekinetic thing where he like binds up Broly with his red aura energy. It looks so good. And it's the speech yeah. about how, you know, we've had a lot of enemies, but I don't think you're one of them. Vegeta needed that somewhere yes but but vegeta does have like like while it's not a lot there he has that one line of when he is doing that like like he's turned super saiyan god he's like basically be like okay i'm done with this fight like i've done testing you and it's clear that you're you're like fucking off your rocker broly like i don't know what your deal is dude but you fucking lost it like already it's like that's the beginning of the fight and broly's like completely lost his shit and and it feels like vegeta's kind of putting him down um, like, like, you know, like old Yeller kind of putting it down. Um, and, but he says this line, like, what a waste as he's doing it, which obviously I have to, I just assume in, in Japanese is multi-nitis. Um, that's like, like, this is like, which is, yeah, this is such a waste to like have to do this to you. And it's something that is like, it's a small thing, but when you take Vegeta throwing Nappa into the sky and blowing him up because Nappa wasn't good enough to beat Goku um, and being like, ha ha ha, you fucking idiot. Like, you suck, Nappa. I'm just going to blow you up because you're so useless to me now. And just being evil and an asshole about it. Going from that to, I hate that I have to do this to you, fellow Saiyan, because this is such a waste of what you are. Like, that that to me, like, I wish there was a little bit more of it. But that to me is there is that acknowledgement yeah. of it. And I agree. I, I don't think Vegeta's out of character. I think he's arguably a little underused. Vegeta also just he's never going to be the protagonist of one of these movies because it's just I don't think he works in that mode 
Yeah, I mean, the only way it would be if, like, he, like, was so the protagonist yeah. of the movie to the expense of, like, all the other characters, which they're never going no, to No, in part because, like, Goku is tailor-made for movies because you can do 90 minutes of Goku very easily. <laughs> um, yes, yeah. He's a very elastic character in that way. Um, but, yeah, so that's Goku and Vegeta. Uh, I should also say Vegeta with the red Super Saiyan God hair, which we have not seen before, looks so fucking good. Like, fucking the amazing. different multicolored hair looks good on Goku, it looks really good on Vegeta. Like, the red and blue hair on Vegeta, I think I like even more than the red and blue hair on Goku. I agree. Yeah, it's it's so good. And just all the Super Saiyan effects and transformations in this movie, so amazing. Like, I think maybe my favorite one is just when Vegeta goes normal Super Saiyan in that fight. And, oh, his and hair turns green briefly? That's yes, amazing. And, and it's just the way that, like, it's flowing up, it's just like, ah, I mean, the the shots in, like, the first Dragon Ball Super Broly trailer of, like, that pan up of Super Saiyan Vegeta, but it looks so good. And it's also just, that's another amazing moment where, where, where Paragus sees that, it's like, what the fuck is that? And Frieza turns and is like, wait, are you telling me that Broly can't even go Super Saiyan? Man, that's really disappointing. Yeah. It's like, like, what is that, like, perspective of, right, 40 years ago during the, the prologue or whatever, this, like, oh, the legend of the Super Saiyan. I don't even think it really exists. It must be some sort of myth <laughs> to be like, oh, yeah, yeah, he go he goes Super Saiyan. He goes Super Saiyan 2. That one over there can also go Super Saiyan 3. They both go Super Saiyan God, which is red hair. And then they can go Super Saiyan God, Super Saiyan but we just call it Super Saiyan Blue because that's blue hair. And then he can go Kaioken on top of that. And then the, the other, the Vegeta one, he can go like super, super blue. Oh, and also... It's, it's a lot. Also, they both have kids. And their kids can do it. <laughs> yes. And yeah, it's it's a lot. Yeah. Um, I, I'm kind of surprised you haven't done it yet, Broly. Yeah, I mean, oh my god. Frieza's interactions with Paragus are so good. He is such a petty bitch with Paragus. Like, Paragus has the line where he's like, I've been sparring. He's like, where Frieza says, is this his first fight with another person? And he says, other than sparring with me, yes. And Frieza he says, yes, but at your power level, that hardly counts for anything. <laughs> it's, so it's so good. Oh, it's so amazing. It's just how dismissive Vegeta, or Frieza is of Paragus. is fucking perfect. I love it. And then, of course, I mean, oh, but speaking of Super Saiyan transformations, I also wanted to give a shout out to when Goku goes Super Saiyan Blue and he's like freaking out and almost goes Ultra Instinct is a little like yeah. Easter egg in there. Oh, my God. The animation on that one is out of this world. Yeah, just great. Just you know, and and I always love when we get good high budget Dragon Ball stuff that gets to do all the cool color yep. effects with Super Saiyan Blue. Because sometimes in Dragon Ball Super, the show, the Super Saiyan Blue stuff could feel really cheap on like a cheap episode. Super Saiyan Blue never looked good. But when like you get like the good episode and it's like fucking yeah, and it's like this cool blue gold aura, it's just it's awesome. It's, I love it's it. It's still my favorite Super Saiyan transformation. Um yeah. so I love it. It looks great here. Uh so in the story, you know, here we have Frieza deciding to kill Paragus to bring out Broly's latent potential. Another amazing moment. Just that flight, like the quick flashback of like, oh, right, I blew up that, that bald dude. Yeah. And that made the Goku one turn Super Saiyan. I wonder what happened if I killed his dad. Yes. Oh, okay, great. That makes him go Super Saiyan too. It's such a perfect culmination of Frieza and Paragus's relationship. It's the right way for Paragus to die. It's a great callback to Paragus doing the same thing to Beats early in the movie yeah. so there's some parallelism there and then it would legitimately freak broly out it's it's such a great character motivated reason for him to hit that final level like the movie is always like every time it's going to hit you with a shot of nostalgia like we're going to show you a big si super saiyan broly but we're only going to do that after we hit you with a lot of good storytelling you know like it's, yeah. it's very responsible in how it doles out those pieces of nostalgia for you 
So absolutely. Yeah. So then this is the part where, well, so earlier, a little bit earlier in the movie, you have a great little tiny Piccolo thing where Piccolo like comes in telepathically, which made me very happy because I didn't think that Piccolo was going to be in this movie. I wouldn't think there'd be any reason for Piccolo to be in this movie. This movie um, has a very Piccolo small cast to... compared to most Dragon Ball films. Yes, it's which is smart. Like I'm yeah. glad that you know they don't try to like shove Gohan in there when like there would be nothing for him to do. Like yeah. there's a tiny cameo of Goten Trunks, you know. But like, and so when they shoved Piccolo in there at first, I was like, oh, that's funny. Like I thought it was just a reference to Piccolo showing up in every fucking Dragon Ball movie, whether he needs to be there or not. Um, but I, but I had not put it together with the first time we cut in that oh, like right, they, eventually the Gogeta thing needs to happen in this movie. How are they going to do that? Because I had just kind of forgotten that technically in the canon Vegeta never learned the dance because I've just lived with Gogeta as a thing that exists in Dragon Ball for so long I had never thought about a version of Dragon Ball where that never happened um so then later when fucking Goku and Vegeta will we'll get to what they do before they teleport it but then teleporting over to Piccolo and having Piccolo teach Vegeta how to do the fusion dance and go through that whole rigmarole is the best use of Piccolo in any of these movies. And there are some good Piccolo moments in all these movies because that's the only thing Piccolo does is have Piccolo moments. But just him being able to do, like, just reprise his Goten Trunks routine of just like, no, it's wrong. The angle, the, like, oh, the angle's, angle's like 45 degrees. Uh, and yours is, and they like put the fucking overlay on the screen. It's like, your finger was bit. And them having to do the fucking fusion dance and, and Piccolo being like the harsh taskmaster is so fucking amazing. This movie is so good at knowing when to like let the, let some steam blow off with comedy, you know? Because at that yeah. point, the movie's been pretty intense for a while and you get the great joke with Frieza we'll get to. And then all the fusion stuff. I mean, my God, when they put the fucking... Uh, he's got the lines on with like, this is 60 degrees and this is 45. I Both times I saw this movie, <laughs> I just died. It is the funniest visual. I love that we get fat Gogeta for a moment. That got applause in my theater. But then they also, they a- extend the joke by also having the opposite of it with skinny old Gogeta. Yeah, the skinny one. Um, yeah. And then, th- I mean, we should just say the joke throughout all that is, have fun, Frieza! <laughs> Yes. Yeah, so Goku and Vegeta lure Broly over to Frieza because they just know that Broly's just going to attack anybody in front of him. So there's just that whole sequence where apparently Frieza fights Broly for a fucking oh, hour yeah. while they're doing all the fusion dance shit and waiting for the fusions to dissolve after 30 minutes and then try it My again. brother had a great oh. joke about that when he saw the movie. He said, in most cases, when someone says 30 minutes on Dragon Ball, that's going to be like five episodes and they're going to extend it. This is the one time 30 minutes went by fast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's just every time they cut back to Frieza just getting his ass rocked by Broly while they're trying to figure out the future dance. It's it's the one of the hardest times I've laughed at Dragon Ball ever. It's, like, it's one of the best jokes they've ever pulled in the whole history of this franchise. It's so good. And then you are rewarded with Gogeta, which is... Fucking A, my boy, Gogeta. Finally in the canon. It's so He's good. Here. It's, uh, Gogeta's always been like my favorite of the fusion characters, and... He's so much better here than he... I mean, Fusion Reborn is great, and I don't want to put it down in any way because it's awesome. But, like, having him here, having him go Super Saiyan Blue, just the utter cockiness of Goku and Vegeta combined there, and just the fluidity of his movements, the way they do the fight here. Oh, it's so good. I mean, just that little moment you have between him and Piccolo right after he's fused with him, like, trying to come up with his name is so amazing. It's like, because... 
it's the, the the thing about Gogeta was he was just in that Fusion Reborn movie, and then they did the fucking Super Saiyan 4 thing in Dragon Ball GT. But that's, oh, right. That's I always I, forget about that. Yes, yeah, so do I. Um, <laughs> but yeah, but so he's in that Fusion Reborn movie, and it's amazing because he just fuses, he does a couple cool moves, he does the fucking Stardust Breaker, which is like the best move in any Dragon Ball video game. It's the thing I always put on in Xenoverse. In Xenoverse and Xenoverse 2, it's one of my ultimates because I think it just looks fucking amazing. Um, Super Gogeta is also my favorite character in the Dragon Ball mobile game um, because he's really overpowered, but he's also awesome. But in that movie, he's just there and he does that really cool thing and he looks fucking awesome and it's over. But he doesn't really ever say anything. He doesn't have any real characterization. In this, I love that you don't have much, but you just get a couple of those moments with him where he actually gets to kind of talk and, and do his thing. And I love that he feels just like that little bit different from Vegito. Yep. Like he's he's a and he's got a lot of that go tanks like like Vegito is cocky but Vegito is not like cocky in this way he's not quite this like childish in him talking about like nah man it would be way cooler if I had a cool name when I showed it like I'm not just gonna go there without a name like that whole interaction just worked so well for me and I I just love that we have you know like Gogeta was not a character that necessarily needed like a like to be rehabilitated in the way that Broly did if you wanted to bring him in. But the fact that they put that little bit of extra love and care into having Gogeta, um, it means a lot. To also, me. just Someone like he very much loves Gogeta. His character design, I love. He's always had the like the cool like sleeves, but with the open chest, and they preserve yeah. that here. I love how perfectly the face is a blending of Goku and Vegeta. It's so well drawn. When he goes Super Saiyan Blue, it's the coolest anyone's ever looked as Super Saiyan Blue, and yeah. just the entire fight, like he is like skating on air and when he's pulling up these like rainbow colored like energy balls and sending them out it's it's such a good fight the music in that sequence is go the broly ha go the broly it's so good i love it all uh it is an amazing climax and it's got this great character hook with chili and limo you know going around trying to save broly and the dragon balls being used in a really substantive way at the end of this story i oh my it's a perfect ending it's so good yeah it's amazing there's also that entire part where with gogeta and broly are fighting and broly's gone super crazy and gogeta's gone super saiyan blue and like the, it's just like apparently their power levels oh, are right, so right, right. huge that they just go into like into an alternate dimension yep. or something and gogeta's just like Whoa! It's like this is nuts. I, it's like they I, keep on fighting. I love it because oh there's barely God. any acknowledgement of it. It's just Gogeta goes like, "What the hell?" And yes, that is probably my that yeah. and what follows the whole Kamehameha sequence are some of my favorite pieces of fighting in this because it is so trippy. It is such a bold choice to just be like they broke the dimensional barrier. I don't know if we're yeah, supposed. It's like they just fought onto the set of fucking like Doctor Strange or something yep. is what just happened. I love that like you can read it as either like that literally happened or the movie just decided to go crazy for a second. It's like not clear if it really happened or not. The way it like breaks back into the environment and we come back to the snow. At, at like sunset, all of that. Oh man! <sighs> Anything else to say about the fight? We you mentioned the the POV shot. That's one of the big ones I wanted to mention. We talked about the different power ups. It's all so good. It's just amazing. It's I think I think we went over it well. It's like obviously it's it's the most well animated, most well directed Dragon Ball fight there's ever been. Like easy. Like that's not even a competition for me. It's like the only competition is maybe the end of Dragon Ball Super. No. It's it's um, so different that I have trouble like gauging it because what this one does that is so different than the others is and this really did throw me for a loop is that it is you are not a spectator of this fight like most Dragon Ball fights are done like you're on the sidelines watching it 
and that's kind of how they've always done it. And Super plays with that a little bit, but not entirely, because the tournament is a tournament <laughs> where people are in the stands. Yeah. In this one, you are in the fight. The camera is a participant in the fight. Not just when you're in Broly's POV, but throughout. The camera is weaving and bobbing with them, and there's a continual sense of movement. And I don't know about you, Sean, but I forgot to breathe during a lot of this fight, because it yeah. is just so, like, overwhelming. And, like, it, take, it took me two viewings to realize there is a lot of really precise, complex choreography going on in there, too. Yeah. It's not just camera movement and stylism. It's just a really good fight also, but, like, that's the thing is that it's the, the choice to, like, have you become a participant in the fight is so different that it's almost like you can't compare this to anything else. You know what I mean? Yeah, it is definitely going for a very different effect and a very different style, but it's like, man, it, oh, just it's so executes, good, yeah. it executes what it's going for at such a high level. Yeah. And so all of that, and you're like, that is a really important thing to point out that I'm glad you pointed out that it's like, it's not just that like the camera movements are really cool and dynamic. It is that within that there is like really clear, effective, interesting choreography in different moves. It's not just like people punching and kicking so fast that like their hands are just blurs. It's, there's a, there's a real sense of pacing and, and artfulness to the way that they choreo choreograph the fight. When Gogeta, um, then, oh, oh yeah. sorry. When Gogeta, no, and then it's, yeah. Okay. No, go ahead. Let me, <laughs> Yeah, but then it's it's the the narrative momentum and the narrative impact of all that is what is ultimately most important, and that's that's the most important thing about the fight choreography and the pacing and the animation, the style, and everything is that it is always used to serve the story and the next character beat and moving the plot towards the the conclusion of Broly disappearing right when the Kamehameha is about to. Yes. And speaking of that scene, when Gogeta is firing the Kamehameha, I so desperately want to get the Blu-ray and go frame by frame because they do this crazy shit with his face and body yeah. where it looks like a different artist did every frame. Do you know what I mean? Like it's it's mm -hmm. like it's contorting in all these weird ways. It's really experimental and it just Oh, it looks so good. I, I want to, like, put frames from this movie on my wall. Yes. Yeah. It's it's just gorgeous. Amazing, perfect ending to the fight. I also just love, there's, like, that little moment where Freeze's going to shoot the ship as as they're escaping, and Kuchita just goes, it's like, nah, not today, buddy. Yep. It's like, ah, oh, fine. I love Freeze's line there, too, where he's like, I'll come back for this planet one day. It's, hey, it's such yeah. a great kiss-off for Frieza. And then the end of the movie... It's got a really beautiful denouement with, I mean, you've got the, the menace of Frieza building his army more. I'm so curious where they're going with that, um, yep. if anywhere in particular. Chi-Lai and Limo deciding to go off with Broly, who we haven't said it enough, but Chi-Lai and Limo are wonderful characters. Yes, I'm, I, the, the, the dub actors that play those characters are awesome, but I'm, that's one of the things I'm most excited for for watching the Japanese dub is... I know both the the voices of both those actors, Mizuki Nana and uh, Tomokazu Sugita, that are playing those two characters yeah. um, in Japanese. And it's now that I've seen the characters in English, it's such good casting, and I'm so excited for yeah. Sugita yeah. as the guy. It's just going to be fucking amazing. Yeah, but I don't want to sell the dub actors short because they they're great. Uh, the one who plays Chilai is Futaba in Persona Five. Yes, perfect right. casting. She's so good. Uh, anyway, but yes, they're great. They decide to go live with Broly. And then the end is Goku coming to visit Broly and giving him the capsules and offering to train with him. Wonderful ending, right? Yeah, and the fucking kiss offline that he gives of, oh, and you can call me Kakarot. Yes. Amazing, perfect, beautiful, love it. It's apparently different in Japanese. 
Really? Apparently, it's not, Broly, you can call me Kakarot. It's some variation of, my name is Kakarot. He claims it for himself. And I've seen people saying, like, it is a little materially different in the original Japanese, the way Masako Nozawa uh, says it. It, and I'm really curious because I want to know how big a character moment that is supposed to be that Goku hmm. says his name is Kakarot. Like, it's a big character moment in the dub the way they have it because he's never addressed himself that way. And it's I agree, it's a great kiss-off line. But I'm really curious how it plays with Masako Nozawa in Japanese if that is... I don't know. I have not seen the Japanese version, so these what I've heard about it could be wrong. Um, although the track on the soundtrack is I'm Kakarot. So... I'm I'm really curious about that. Either way, it's a great ending. Yeah, amazing ending. It's and one of the, for me one of the most important things about that ending is the promise of these characters are around. Like it was one of the things we talked about a little bit um, at the end of the Burly podcast for the old movies was what is, what is this Burly going to be and what do they do? And I think we both are saying this like I hope he lives. Yep. Like I hope I hope because it's like if this version of Burly is really good, which he is. We want him to stick around, and I'm so, so glad that they did that um, because it's such an amazing version of the character. I mean, the fucking amazing version of the character. He's an amazing character. It doesn't matter fucking what he came from originally. Um, that And he, he just feels so valuable to me now. Like, in him and, and Chilai, um, in the... Uh, Limo. I can never... Limo. Like, because, because those are both of those characters, they do something that I really love of seeing what is, like, a normal grunt in the Frieza Force like. You know, that's not Zarbon or Dodoria or the Ginyu Force, but in not even like a pool or whatever, you know, like all the, like the Kui, the people that like you thought were the grunts in the Frieza Force, but like, no, like in their own right, those are relative, like they, they could smoke like Krillin or Yamcha on Earth, right? Like those are like relatively powerful people. Um, they, so it's like getting to see these normal people in the Frieza Force, like, I think that's a really valuable perspective as well, especially if they're going to, if the Frieza thing is going to continue to be a thing for the future of whatever they do next, like, having those two characters and having Broly is such a, a valuable thing that I'm really excited to see what they do with it. I mean, I feel like we're going to have to save this discussion for another time of what comes next, but think of how much is on the table at the end of this movie, combined with mm -hmm. the end of the TV series, Dragon Ball Super, is you have Frieza alive amassing an army. You have 12 universes out there, including one that, you know, has a bunch of... It's multiple ones that have characters we really know and love. We have a whole planet of science out there in Universe 6 that Vegeta has promised to go visit. We have Broly over there on his home planet with his new friends. Like, there are so many storytelling possibilities. It's crazy. Yeah. Because keep in mind, there's also... Not every single universe was in the turn yeah. of power because the most powerful universes... Were like it was only the weakest universes that were in the turn of the power. So there's like m different universes that we haven't seen anybody really from yet. So there's that whole possibility. I'm just out so there excited. Too. I'm so excited for whatever comes next. And all I all I gotta ask Toei is that if you make Dragon Ball Super season two or whatever you call it, please do not start with a 14 episode retelling of this movie. <laughs> yeah, oh for God, the love of yeah. God, please, please don't ruin the movie. Please don't do that. I mean, hopefully there shouldn't be any need for that. You know, it's yeah. not the same situation as it was uh, when Dragon Ball Super came around. They they have competent people and they have a competent pipeline that they have already made for Dragon Ball Super. Yes. So hopefully they, they can just start that up again. All right. Um, uh, a couple final things. Yeah. The dub. We should mention briefly that's the version we saw. Yes. I think it's good. I think in, some of the voices are great. I think it's not great dub overall. Like, it's good script. It's well written. It's got some dumb moments. I don't know why Piccolo quotes Dragon Ball Z abridged at one point with the what in the multiverse line 
Oh, I didn't even cast that. Yeah, he goes, what in the multiverse? It's it's a it's a dumb moment. Um, it comes right after the uh, moment where it's it's right when they arrive uh, at him, Vegeta and Goku. So if people were laughing in your theater, yeah. you might not have heard it. Um, hmm. But anyway, like it's it's a good dub overall. I have to like I think in general the trend of the newer voices tend to be the better ones. Like Chris Ayers, Frieza, Chilai, and Limo are both great. Um, I think that continues to be true. Uh, I think Chris Sabat does some really good work in this as Vegeta and King Vegeta. I think he's really strong. I have to say I don't like Sean Schemmel's Goku. I've gotten to a point where, and I know this is an unpopular opinion, I don't buy it and I don't like hearing it. Like, I, I like it because it's what I grew up with. Like, I massively prefer uh, Masako Nozawa. Um, like, it doesn't, it never bothers me. But, like, I 100% get why it here's, would bother you. So here's like, the thing. So I've had to listen to people for years talk about how, like, no, you don't get it. Japanese Dragon Ball is bad because they got a woman to voice a guy. And, and it's the stupidest argument on earth. But I feel a little bit of that in reverse with Sean Schemmel because when... And this is particularly the more he's tried to lean into the youthful side of Goku. When I hear his Goku, what I hear is a 50-year-old guy in a sound booth trying to sound like a kid. I don't hear Goku. And, mm -hmm. and I get that really strongly in this movie. Um... He's got some good moments. I like his speech to Broly in the middle of the fight. I think he delivers that well. I think he does some of the yells well. Um, you know, the, the English cast is kind of hit and miss on the on the yelling. I think, like, Vic Mignogna's Broly dialogue is really good in this. Vic's a great actor. I think Vic Mignogna's yelling as Broly is pretty subpar. Um, but that's also a very Japanese skill, <laughs> as these yeah. things go. So I don't know. That's kind of how I feel about Sean Schemmel's Goku at this point. I... I hate like I like the guy and I I like the general quality of the voice. It's just it's something that I've noticed more and more as the series has gone on because the more recent material has leaned more into the youthful Goku stuff, and it's just when he does that I don't buy it. Um, but overall, I mean, this is I should say this is a very good dub. It's competent. It's, it seems very faithful to the original. It's well produced. Uh, the only voice that's new that fell flat for me was Paragus. I thought was a little weak. But yeah, I was I was fine with Paragus. Like, he, like it, it it didn't like stand out to me as a voice that didn't work. Like, I do think like you know, it's this is the first like expanded English dub Dragon Ball thing I've seen in a long time now. Like, it hasn't been probably since I watched Dragon Ball Kai in like 2011. Because you wouldn't, you didn't see Battle it? of Gods and Resurrection F dubbed, did you? No, okay, and I, I did. Yeah, yeah, no. So I've never seen the dub versions of those movies. Okay. So it's been a while. Then I I've seen dub clips of scenes from Dragon Ball Super on youtube that i've just been curious and i've generally enjoyed those um but like but it's easy to be like ah, i want to watch like this two minute scene and I, I was actually like really pleasantly surprised by how much i enjoyed the dub because it was the one thing i was like re like dreading is way too strong a word but the thing that like i was most hesitant about about like making all the effort to go see this movie and stuff and go drive like 30 minutes to a nice movie theater to see it and everything was like i so am now so associated and fixated with the japanese version with like the Japanese these Japanese cast that it, it it felt like weird to go back to the English version um but I got acclimated to it very quickly and obviously like you know I've I have seen more and like heard more Sean Chamel playing Goku than I have Masako Nozawa just because that's what I was that's the only thing I listened to for like the first 18 years of my life or whatever doing Dragon Ball stuff so that's going to be a little bit of catching up It's just funny because when I was a kid I 
getting into the series, I always liked Sean Chamel's Goku more than Chris Sabat's Vegeta. I think early Chris Sabat Vegeta is pretty bad because he's trying to do... I agree. Well, he's, he's trying to do the Brian... They all had a task where they were trying to match the Ocean Group's character voices, so he was trying to do Brian Drummond doing Vegeta. And over time, they've passed for me, where I think Chris Sabat's Vegeta is really good at this point. Um, it's a very good interpretation of the character, and I think Sean Schemmel's has kind of, like, flattened for me. Uh... Sean Schimmel also has the hardest job in the cast because he is trying to do Masako yeah. Nozawa and she is the greatest voice actress who ever lived. So, you know. Yeah, and Goku's just like a hard character to play. And it's like, and it's the thing where it's like, I think it got harder for him. Like, I think, because I think it got easier to play Vegeta in the sense that like Vegeta started to get like translated and written better. And so I think like Chris Sabat like started to get a better understanding of the character because the material he was getting and like like what they're working with was a lot better once they started doing kai stuff for sean schimmel his job got so much harder playing goku because he was really good at superman goku like that he's he's really good yeah, at no, I agree. Of the character and so when you have to go from that to here's like the kid in a in a adult's body like you know the goku we know and love from like the Matsuko Nozawa performance, that's a fucking hard character to play. Um, and having to shift from the Superman Goku into that Goku, I think is, is must have been like a very difficult thing for him. I think he does a. I I like it definitely more than you are. Um, and I like I enjoy his performance. I think he's got an interest. He's like moved to an interesting place with it that like is definitely nowhere near where Nozawa for me. But it's it's cool and I like it and I I prefer it over the way they used to do it. But yeah, it's hard. It, it, yeah, I just if anything's holding the dub back for me, that's it. But you know, you should you should totally see this movie whether you watch the dub or not. It's a totally competent presentation of the film, yeah. and sometimes more than competent. And, yeah, I would I would also recommend people go see it in the theater. Yes, like, you know, hopefully, hopefully a theater that has a competent sound setup or whatever. Yeah. But like I really enjoyed the experience of being able to see this on a big screen because it's like most dragon ball movies i like i don't regret not seeing battle of gods or resurrection f under the theater because i don't feel like visually those movies are so spectacular resurrection f had some crazy good stuff in it but yes yeah i'm sure like i'm sure it it, as with anything it would have been improved by the experience but this is a movie that i feel like if i had seen it first on blu-ray i would have felt like "Mm, i kind of wish i had yeah i had gone made the effort to see this in the theater i totally get it so i'm very glad i did even even if like now i'm just desperately awaiting the ability to see it with the japanese cast yes and we're gonna have to do at least a, a mini review again when when it when we get to see it in japanese which hey the movie made a lot of money funimation if you would please just do like two japanese screenings of it i would i'd i'll pay you have my money i'd do it absolutely yeah Yeah. like it's been a very long time since i saw the same movie twice in a theatrical run um this that would be that would be the only thing that would probably ever get me to do is like shit okay the japanese version i am i am 100 there you don't even need to put subtitles like you don't even need to go that far like just fucking play it somewhere i will go i will too i know the story i can follow it fuck it um okay so so you are of the opinion this is the best dragon ball movie Yes. I am, more and more I think about it, more I talk about it with you, I'm leaning towards that. Let me make my one case for Battle of Gods. Okay, I think, because I, I think there is a case for Battle yeah. of Gods. I want to make that My case, because, yeah. you know, Battle of Gods does not look as nice. It does not have as good of animation. It has very nice animation. The fight in Battle of Gods is really cool. I think for me, I mean, it's two things. One is just Battle of Gods is five years old, and I've seen Battle of Gods like 15 times. Like, because just between its protracted release 
to get here. I saw it like three times raw in Japanese. Then I saw it in theaters in English. Then I saw it on Blu-ray in Japanese. And there was also an extended cut. So, I, so I've seen it many, many times. So part of that is just that. And Broly I've only seen twice and it's very new. So over time, I don't know where I'm going to land on this. I think for me, what Battle of Gods did in just giving the series a new lease on life and creating those characters of Beerus and Whis and reorienting Dragon Ball squarely in Toriyama's universe while also expanding the vision of that universe so beautifully and using all the characters. And I think more than anything, what's always made since it came out Battle of Gods my favorite is just how well it uses Goku and that it's one of the few concentrated pieces of Dragon Ball media that tells a beginning, middle, end story with a clear arc for Son Goku, the protagonist. And I think it does that beautifully. And I think for me, just like, we have this era of Dragon Ball because of Battle of Gods. And like, it, it that moment will always be so special for me when that movie gave the franchise its life back. But at the same time, Broly is on the other end of that. It's kind of a culmination of everything they've done since then. And all they've learned and how bold the series has gotten. And of course, the animation in Battle of Gods can't touch the animation in this. So they're very hard to compare. But I think for everything we've talked about and everything I just said, that's why those two are at the top for both of us, I think. Yeah, for me, I think one of the, like outside of even just like the animation of the aesthetic stuff that Dragon Ball Super Broly does that I love so much. I think the main thing that Broly has that edges it out over Battle of Gods for me is... I feel like the pacing in Broly is razor fucking sharp, yes. and Battle of Gods is a little bit slow for me in places. It is totally it's like yeah, and I and I I like all the character stuff and fucking I love Battle of Gods, but I think like the beginning sections of that movie like t- it takes so long to kind of find itself um, that like for me Broly has such a strong command of its own pacing and structure um, that I think on its own if you like take the influence of battle of gods and the influence it had on the series and like how fucking critical it was for battle of gods to come out when it did to sort of usher in this era of dragon ball and you focus more on these movies squarely on their own terms as films i think for me dragon ball super broly is definitely better than than battle of gods and i could both very fucking yes and i could totally i you know i can't wait to see it again i loved it I, I I look forward to letting this movie settle with me, you know, and 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 just just love it in that way because it's still so fresh. All right, I think that does it for this week. This was a ridiculously long podcast, but it felt good to do this again, Sean. Yes, I mean it was for while well, the listeners didn't have a hiatus. We had a little yes. week long hiatus, and so we had a lot of stuff to talk about. Yeah. This is a fucking movie that's got a lot of shit. It's, there's that whole we didn't even there's that whole little bit there's one of my favorite little bits in the movie where Broly is fighting Whis for a second and Whis is just like not having it and just dodging all of this shit like there's so many little touches of this movie that's amazing. So uh, Beerus taking care about. of Bulla. That's a <laughs> yeah, that's so good. Yes, I I love when they cut back to him and she's just like on his chest. He's like, oh, it seems like everything's got okay. Yes. All right. Dragon Ball is good for now. Dragon Ball. Is very very good, and I just I'm gonna need to eagerly count the days until I can. I just need to fucking watch the Japanese version of this movie so bad. Oh God. Japan Animation Station.